There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody, uh, we got the room packed with, uh, apparently... It's packed with uh, pistol pack and bagpipe players. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know you guys play bagpipes, but you guys, I'm assuming you pack pistols at work? Yes, sir. Pistol pack and bagpipe yes, players. Yeah. Okay, why don't you introduce yourselves? Uh, my name's Rich Fortunato. I'm the acting chief patrol agent of the Hather Sector Border Patrol Sector. Hold on, say that real slow. Richard Fortunato, the acting chief patrol agent of the Haver sector, border patrol sector. So you're patrolling the northern border. I'm patrolling. Actually, the, the AOR for Haver sector is is Montana, east of the Continental Divide, Idaho, east of the Continental Divide, Utah, Colorado, and Wyoming. So we we look we do work throughout that entire area. Colorado? I, f- I hope you catch them before they... <laughs> 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 Coming from the north, I imagine. Well, yeah. So... The, the stuff that we try to do down in the States in Wyoming and Colorado is is more of a task force working with uh, other law enforcement partners. Gotcha. And working on that type of traffic. Uh, the, border, the border next to stuff is obviously in Montana. Got it. Yeah. I got a bunch of questions about the northern border. Oh. <laughs> I've been... Uh, the quiet... It's the, I don't know. The quiet border. Well, I, I wouldn't say it's quiet. I would say that it's... Uh, it's different, right? So it's it's uh, the traffic that we have on the southern border is definitely different from the type of traffic that we have on the northern border. Yep. yep. So obviously the stuff that they see uh, down south is, is is Central American 
South American based. And the stuff that we see on the northern border is more based in Eastern European Romanians and things. Oh, is that like right? That. Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, sir? Hi, Charles Trost. Um, currently the Tucson Sector Public Lands Liaison Agent, U.S. Border Patrol. I uh, just finished up a three year detail as a National Public Lands Liaison Agent um, Program Manager. Okay, so so get, I get it, but but get, approach it with a different set of words. <laughs> so um, basically, um, I, I served as uh, the the first point of contact for our land management um, agency partners. Um, you know, being the border patrol, you know, typically we're along the border. That's where we're working, um, but we don't actually own any property, any land out there. So the the areas that we're patrolling, it's other people's property, if you would, yep, you know, yep. um, so, and that's typically along the border, that's Department of Interior, or U.S. Um, Department of Agriculture being Forest Service land. Um, so BLM land and Forest Service land. Well, yeah. and not just BLM, you have Fish and Wildlife Service refuges. Okay. You have, um, you know, you have the, the national conservation areas with, with BLM. You also have national parks um, that are along the border areas. And so, you know, that's just part of it. And then you also have oh, that's like, good. Yeah. Big yeah, Bend, right? Yeah. Big Bend National huge, Park. Huge is a national huge park one. on the border. Oregon Pipe National Cactus Monument. Um, another big one. Um, Coronado National Memorial. I mean, you, there's a whole lot. H- the Hacumbit Wilderness um, in California. There's all kinds of areas. And so, um, you know, the, those land management agencies, when, when we're p- patrolling, you know, if there's an issue... I'm usually one of the first person, either myself or within the sector, there's a PLLA that they would contact and they would work out that issue. Along with that, though, it's not just issues. Like if we have um, technology deployments that we're working on, we would reach out to them. And it's usually the PLLA that's, um, you know, helping to initiate that conversation and work through that. Uh, And then we find, you know, different collaborative work to do, um, you know, cross-agency training, because a lot of people don't really know um, about the areas that they're working in, most Border Patrol agents, they don't typically come from the area that they're assigned to. Got it. And so you're coming to this new land. So one of the things that the PLA program helps to do is not only um, improve the the knowledge of the Border Patrol agent of the area that they're working in, but we also reach out to the public lands managers and we teach their new employees about what the Border Patrol is because they may not have any interaction with BP. And so we kind of try to teach them, hey, this is the work that we do. So they aren't just thinking we're out there roaming across their property, you know, yep. infringing on their resource. Like there's there's a method behind the stuff that we're doing. And we try to broker that and and just kind of make sure that we're all on the same page, that we're out there trying to protect the resource as a whole. We just have different approaches to doing it. Yep. And the end result being that the area is safe and that people can enjoy the resource for what it is. Uh, are, you, are all you guys former military? Um, I think I'm the only one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Got it. Brody, former, uh, former trivia master. Brody. Former. <laughs> former. Look at that scoreboard, mister. I'm Brody Henderson. Why Look at that my scoreboard day, over there. In my day, I was quite the trivia It'll master. It'll all be decided. <laughs> It'll all be decided. <laughs> That's right. The uh, playoffs are coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you ready? I, I bro. Well, I just got. I want to keep doing my old man Brody thing. <laughs> no, I'm totally ready. Corinne's here. Uh, Phil, and then uh, James. Go ahead. Hey, uh, James Searle. I'm an assistant chief assigned to Border Patrol headquarters in Washington D.C. And uh, my portfolio is. Uh, I work for the recruitment division up there. 
And my portfolio includes um, brand engagement, sponsorships, candidate development, and virtual outreach for things just like this to reach out to communities and find unique and different audiences to um, communicate what the Border Patrol does, um, not just through what people see uh, on the lens of mainstream media, but actually, you know, find uh, find more intimate settings to communicate who Border Patrol agents are mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and engage with the public and, you know, provide additional transparency and tell them all the other things that we, you know, you're not going to see just by watching big news. Um, tell, you know, what what's what's in the gravy that makes up border security and like Charles explained, working with, you know, three-letter agencies to on, on various lands to, to do our job and border security mission, but also in further their missions as well. Uh, was it, it was you that reached out with like a, a thing of like, you guys talk about stuff that is, that has implications, has border implications. Absolutely. And you had a, a many, many, a, a very detailed email of many episodes where we bordered on the borders. Yeah. First, first paper, first paper I wrote on reaching out to you guys was back in 2017. And, uh, and when, uh, Chief what happened then? It's just different times, sir. And uh, <laughs> what, you wrote us in 2017. Oh, I wrote a paper internally uh, to my organization on on doing outreach with uh, with Mediator back in 2017. Oh, and, I thought uh, you meant that um, you tried to get a hold of us and no one called you back. That's happened two more recently, but uh, <laughs> really, I had a phone. I had a phone. A friend. I had a phone. A friend. Uh, I believe the your your the team in Haver reached out uh, back in the early summer, I think. And right. But just through the like the regular website uh, contact yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, 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 you yeah. never know who you're going to get. Yeah, it probably, well, probably wound up in a junk box. People need to get a hold of, uh, I hate to say it, but get a hold of Crin. Crin, you should pull, oh, never mind. <laughs> people already. Phone number, <laughs> family business. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're going to cover a bunch of this stuff. So uh, let me give you a couple of for instances, though, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about a couple other things. Wait, and Yanni's here. Oh, sorry, Yanni. Good morning. <laughs> Yanni, play your, uh, real quick, play your daughter doing the, um, this is great. Yanni's daughter's learning how to gobble like a turkey, but he's got a video, and when he showed me the video, she sort of dressed up real nice and facing the camera. I thought she was going to sing the Latvian National Anthem, but instead she rips out a turkey gobble. Couple turkey gobbles. Yeah, has yeah, her along in the You've spring. never seen a cuter. No, uh, there was a cuter turkey gobble. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how old is she? She's eight, soon okay. to be nine. Uh, a few of the episodes that that we talked about, where we got into the we got into the landscape of what the border patrol does. We had episode one seventy nine, the weed warden. Um. In James's words, this episode touches on cartel smuggling to support illegal marijuana grows on public lands. While this focuses on state conservation officer enforcement, U.S. Border Patrol is part of the largest uniformed law enforcement agency in the nation that on an average day seizes Holy shit. 4,732 pounds of drugs, much of which crosses through or is seized on public lands. Did you guys see that video Heffelfinger posted when he was hunting in Arizona yeah. recently? Yeah, that was Dude, pretty interesting. uniformed, like, uniformed smugglers. Yep, yep. In matching camo outfits thought carrying backpacks. He thought yeah, they he were, was a bunch yeah. of hunters. Yeah. He realized, oh, shit. Yeah, it's Like, they were, fairly, like, decked out common. in, like, uniforms. It's fairly common. Yeah, he was he was he was impressed by the professionals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be you'd be surprised on on the on the the level of copycat with with not even just uniforms but vehicles 
of of what these folks will try to do. We've seen Border Patrol, we've seen FedEx, we've seen UPS, oh, a really? whole number of different things. Yeah, clone vehicles that, that that smugglers will try to use to get their their product. Yeah, you guys almost busted me and Yanni one time. <laughs> Remember, we were driving around in Douglas trying to find a place to going to oh, someone's yeah. house. We were kind of lost in Douglas and we were in a rental van and eventually we got pulled over by Border Patrol. No, nothing suspicious <laughs> so about as that. Soon as, they, as soon as they looked in the window and we're like, they're like, what do you guys, oh, we said, they're just basically, get out of here. <laughs> but we're like kind of lost, stopping and starting. And <clears throat> Well, yeah, because we had to, uh, I forget, we had maybe, we're going to leave a gun that we didn't have the prom- proper permit for. We're doing a w- firearms delivery. Yeah. Okay. That we, yeah, basically, <laughs> we're going to stash a firearm for a week while we, were, we, while we were in Mexico and then come back and get it on the way just at a buddy's mom's house, you know? Okay. And uh, couldn't find her house, found it. I just quickly run to the house, drop off a gun, come back, and yeah, that got us flagged. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you wonder if they were following you the whole time. <laughs> Uh, we got into, we did a wild horse episode. And that touches you guys in a handful of ways, which is interesting. We'll get into that. Breaking wild horses used for uh, Border Patrol stuff. Uh, the episode, James's words, focused on impacts of wild horse overpopulation to public and tribal lands and efforts of the BLM Wild Horse and Burrow Program, which U.S. Border Patrol is a consumer of. U.S. Border Patrol employs wild mustangs for horse patrol operations in strategic locations on both the northern and southern borders. That's a trip. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. What do you guys, mean, tell me again what you guys pay for one of those horses. Uh, I, I don't know the exact dollar amount, but compared to like buying a, a, a bread quarter horse, it, it's, you know, pennies on the dollar from what I understand. And a dog is eight, 9,000 bucks? Yeah, trained. A trained dog? Yeah, trained dog. Trained horse is 300 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, five maybe. <laughs> Man. Um, I don't know what that says about dogs and horses. <laughs> we t- uh, we said we uh, covered episode 102, El Surprizo, the Gray Ghost. Touches on dangers of crossing the border, hunting near the border in cartel country. Head on Chairman Rob Bishop, former Chairman Rob Bishop, uh, exploring the potential impacts of infrastructure on public lands. U.S. Border Patrol owns the requirements that inform the development of barrier systems along the southwest border, Often referred to as the wall. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a quickie. If you guys had to rate, okay, one being, ten being laying in bed with your spouse at night, and how you might feel at liberty to talk about your opinions. Okay, that's ten. One being you're with the president. Tracking. Where do where do you sit in your liberty to express opinion right now? <laughs> um, I think it depends on the question. Okay. So. So I'd, I'd say low. No. <laughs> I, again, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, uh, I, I think it just depends on the question, right? Because obviously, what we're a branch of the executive government, so we're bound by by the administration, but. Uh, um, my opinion, uh, kind of falls along with, with that direction, but it just depends on the question. Okay. Well, we'll see. Maybe that'd be Yanni's <laughs> little job is he'll rate, uh, how honest he felt the replies. Were. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like, I don't know if you did a good job of setting the, uh, parameters. I feel like you have to be honest with 
both your spouse and the president. No, dude, if you, if you, let, let's say you're one of these fellows uh-huh. and you get invited to the White House, you're not going to go in there. Let me tell you what I think. You're going to oh, go in there and be no, like, no, you're no, going to no. go in there and be like, oh, sir? Yes, yes, sir. And yeah. take a picture and you're out yeah, the door. Okay. I, you're not going to go in there and be like, Hey, can I get yeah. a minute? From a personal <laughs> opinion perspective. Yeah. yeah but at night. With your wife, yeah, yeah, you'd be yeah, like, yeah. this I'm, I'm is tracking. just I'm the most fucked up thing I've ever, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Charles, what, what would you say? Um, I just finished my detail, so I think I'd be more at liberty to just let you know. No, okay. <laughs> no but no, I, I think uh, with, with all of us within the, within the patrol, um, you know, I feel comfortable saying that, you know, just like what, what Chief was just talking about, you know, I mean, we, we do have that, that executive branch, but along with... Along with that, I mean, we all, overall, we have the mindset of, you know, we want what's best for the country overall. Mm-hmm. We want to, to do what's right, not only, you know, for our, our fellow agents, but also for, you know, our fellow man and woman, you know, and child for the country. We're all looking at what's best for uh, creating a good um, setup for national security. Um, although within the Border Patrol, you have additional things that you need to be concerned about. What's best for the technology deployment? What's best for recruiting and maintaining our cadre of, of agents? Mm-hmm. For, for me within public lands, not only what's best for national security, but it's what, what's best for the relationship we share with our land management partners and our stakeholders. And so it's, it's trying to find that, that good balance and then being able to d- deliver that balance, you know, in, in a way that's palatable to both sides to, to understand and to um, accept collaborate on and, and move forward from. You know, the only area I'm going to really care about the level of honesty is when later I ask about, uh, based on expert, based on opinions of being around, when I ask about any insights you guys might have around the question of wildlife, migrations, and the border wall. So I, That'll I, be the only, yeah. no, no, don't do it now. Well, <laughs> I, I, I'll just say this. I, I would say that if if I was asked to go into the president and provide my opinion on on X topic, I would provide my opinion. And whether he decided to take it or not would be completely up to him. Mm. So Yeah, my, my thing me, isn't really accurate, is it? Well, so I, I the, the question would be is is if if you were to ask me a question of if if walls work, my my statement would be yes. We have data that says they work. If you were to ask me, um, in my opinion, do I support walls? I wouldn't answer that question because I'm in line with what the administration wants to do. And that my opinion as a leader, uh, walls work because the data says that walls work. But whether or not I agree with walls or not is my own personal opinion. And I think it's good business to keep my personal opinion out of professional. Yeah. So like you're interested, you, you're, you're, you're comfortable with an opinion around or not an opinion. You're comfortable with objective analysis, but not like subjective opinions. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Something I wanted to ask about. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I think Corinne spoke to you about my my, uh, desire to get a person to come in here to administer a lie detector. (laughs) Okay. The the mediator office fish heist mystery. Well, I got a new lead on it last night. Oh, really? No. Yeah, good lead. Uh Uh-oh. It's ongoing. No, no, no. Not the crime. 
So not who stole my fish. Oh, I got well, a good lead on getting a lie detector part. person in oh. here. Oh, <laughs> how much uh, how much exposure do you guys have to administering lie detectors? Uh, me personally, I mean, I, I, I led the recruiting division before I, I left headquarters. James worked for me over there, so I have a, a little bit of information on on the CBP polygraph. Uh-huh. But I was in law enforcement in Colorado and have taken many polygraphs. So okay, do um. Short of having one of them polygraphs, what's the? Do you guys have a hot tip from uh from being in enforcement? A hot tip about how to tell when someone's spinning you a yarn? Well, I would say that the the best way to be, and, and we'll talk a little bit about read techniques, right? When you're you ask somebody a baseline of questions, right? So if I'm talking to Giannis, I can ask, "Hey, where were you born?" And he would give me that response, and I'm I'd be watching what he's doing. So if like I'm, whether or not he has a lie detector hooked up to right. him. Right. Well, not, you don't even need a lie detector hooked okay. up to him. So if I was to ask Yanni, what was the, Here, great, do, it, do it with him. What was the greatest hunt that you ever had? Oh, that's when I went with Steve to Kentucky and we killed squirrels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. He's lying to you. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that would be based on, on, on the baseline questions, right? Where I'd ask and watching his eyes. So it, historically, when people access a part of their brain that's truth, they'll look to that side of their brain. So when they go to tell a lie, they'll look to the other side because now- Like their, their fabric, eyes literally move? Their eyes literally literally move. What's so the true side? Well, you'll have to do- That's why you ask the baseline questions. Oh! Things that you know are true. What's your name? Where were you born? You know, how old are you? And you watch their really? eyes. Yeah. So a follow-up to that would be uh, to, to determine truthfulness would be, uh, so Yanni, you know- what would you say to someone else who wants to go on a hunt in Kentucky for squirrels with Steve? Would you recommend that? Did you see his eyes move? So when I asked yeah. him the question about his eyes favorites, darted leftward. If you, I asked him Why the question about dart leftward. So I'll just give you. I'm just part of a test here, bro. <laughs> when I asked him what his greatest hunt was, his eyes actually flittered to my right or his left. But when he asked him the other question, where he was going to make something up, they dotted to his right and my left. So that's how you can determine whether or not they're being honest. Really? Yeah. I use it with my kids all the time. They hate me. <laughs> so Steve, if you get, you know, if we, if we get a couple more tips, maybe you could actually, you know, be the questioner. But if you, okay. I'm going to start wearing shades around here. <laughs> but when you do get a situation, you, let's say you just encounter, you encounter someone and you, and you just talk to him. I, I, we had a cop on the other day, um, but he wasn't here as a cop. He was here as a walleye tournament person. But I said to him, man, you got to spend half your time having people tell you, telling you bullshit or whatever. And he said, yeah, but you probably spend half your time people telling you bullshit because it's just, it's everywhere. It's not like it's just in my world, mm-hmm. you know, but how do you, uh, like, how quickly do you know someone's not being forthright? And so usually, like I said, when you establish that baseline of questions, you got an idea of where they're going to look and then you start... So that really down. is something you go to Absolutely. early on. And then when you start digging down to the questions, then it's the other non-physical things they can't control. They cover their arms because they're they're creating a barrier between you and them. Or they push themselves back, they lean back, they put their feet up, they create barriers. So whenever somebody's lying to you, they're, they don't sit comfortably. They, they physically can't control themselves. So they create barriers. So when you talk to people, you can uh, see them starting to do those kind of things. You shouldn't be telling people this. Ah. Because now when I'm lying, I'm going to look dead straight on and I'm going to lean toward the person. Uh, Unless there's an absolute sociopath working at me either and (laughs) it might be tougher. (laughs) But isn't it like, isn't it if you are looking like dead straight, 
that you're not able to hold that consistently. And if like someone is being questioned and they're trying not to lie, they'll try to do the opposite of the thing that's anticipated of them. So if Steve is looking you looking at you dead center too much, that might signal something well, in your br- mind. Breaking the tension not... of a gaze okay. would be a would be a you know a nonverbal cue. Huh, what does that mean, break? And I, I know what it means, but what does that tell you? If, if I mean, if they're locked on and they can't, they can't look at you straight while actually telling something that's false. They can't physically take the tension of looking you directly in the eye to to, to tell you that. It's easier for people to to hold the gaze, telling the truth. It's easier to tell them. Yes, yes. You're, you're going to be someone who's truthful is going to be actively engaged in the conversation, probably like remembering pointing at things, the, the cooler was here, uh, this, and they're, because they're recollecting things that actually happened, whereas someone who's lying is going to be searching and breaking that, that tension. So there, there's actually a a video out there, Manuel Noriega back in the, in the late nineties where he was being interviewed by somebody on, on the news and they were talking about a bunch of things and he had exactly what you're talking about where he had this set, set gaze and they got to the question, well, how much money do you really make? And you can watch the video. His eyes go from here. This is how much I make. I can't tell them that <laughs> all the way over here to this is what I'm going to tell them. And that, that video is actually out there on YouTube. So if you go and find that, it'll give you a pretty good idea of really? to the video where he's locked in and they ask him a question and he looks and in that you can see that whole eye movement yeah. go back and forth. Well, hmm. Nick Nixon in the, uh, in the whitewater. Oh, yeah. the Famous videos. Yep. He, 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 he he, he has a tell. He oh yeah, oh. right. Like before he says, you know, I, I didn't. There was no misconduct. He says like three different things to prepare the national audience to, you know, listen to me. I want you to hear me clearly. He's like, I'm I'm preparing the nation to for what I'm about to lie to you about. And he's trying to like re encourage everyone that what I'm about to say instead of just telling the truth. He prepares everybody for what he's about to lie about. Inc- incidentally, Bill Clinton did the same thing on the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. Oh, he came okay. out and said. I want to tell the American people. Can you talk about this templing? this triangle signal templing, templing uh, when you're when you're when you're templing your uh, your it's like a you're making like a little show, steeple show of dominance like I am it's like a, I'm over you type yeah. of can you, can you describe what that is like your pointer finger? Well, Clinton was describing this to me over the phone. I thought it was Clinton's signature deal where he like <laughs> imagine you make a fist. So I'm just, just to the audience. Imagine you make a fist that's sitting vertical. So your knuckles are lined up vertical. Clinton would then roll his thumb over the top so it left so it, his thumb would rest on the middle knuckle of his pointer finger. I think it was like I think he must have had a pointing habit. I think he did that in that, you know, I did not and and he's like driving the the point forward. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that someone said, "Don't it's too aggressive." Yeah. And so he started to go up in that, but he would then roll that pointer finger and he'd have that little thumb pointing out. And it was widely parodied. It. So when Corinne was talking about Clinton's hands, I thought she was talking about that. But you're talking about him making a it's, um, uh, and and I guess it's him not putting his ex- fingers together, yeah, making a little church this, steeple. Yeah, it's like templing is what I believe they call it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a show of dominance over who you're talking to. Apparently, it's a subconscious thing. Yeah, hmm. I think I do you're that bringing... when I'm yelling at my kids. <laughs> <laughs> but I associate it with trying to like calm myself down, where I'm like, listen. <laughs> Look me in the eye. Yeah, I'm establishing dominance for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Got to plug our trivia tournament. We're going to crown a 2022 Meat Eater Trivia Champion. 
three tournament episodes. So the way it's going to go is it's going to be like an elimination thing. I'm trying to think of a good sports analogy, but I can't. Help me out. Uh, mm. Any playoff. It's a playoff. <laughs> <laughs> a bracket. <laughs> any bracket ever? We're, we're going to start with 14 do you guys players. Play, do you guys play along? The Mediator Trivia? Uh, ever? We're, we're, it's unfortunate we're not, uh, we're not having one today because yeah. we were all prepared. I, I, I came in thinking we probably were. Me too. Yeah. Spencer's yeah, not Spencer here. Spencer's gone. So, uh, yeah. You didn't in trouble. You didn't I, in trouble. I continue to hear from uh, Tommy Edson, the blue-collar scholar, who always sends me his scorecard on his steering wheel. Because I think he does it on lunch break or something at work. And according, he sent me the other day, he had a nine. Tommy Edson thinks he'd be the reigning champion, but then we had him here and he didn't win. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what his performance was like. I just, I don't know. I got to get him back here. He's always telling me he won this and won that. Um, (laughs) We're going to start with 14 players and weed them out as we go. A lot of drama and surprises along the way. Will Brody Henderson... (laughs) Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to HR about this ageism thing that's yeah. go, going on. Oh, while you're doing it, you know, uh, I'm gonna go down there with you. Yeah, because you know what I learned is ageism. Did you know that you can't dog on someone for not knowing technology? Mm. That's ageism. You can't say, "Oh, he's not tech savvy," of a person of my age, and that's all anybody does is goof on me. I get skinny shamed. I get tech shamed. Yep. So yeah, let me know you anywhere. Watch down there. out for that age. We'll go. Man. We'll go down there, and I'll be like, <laughs> Brody has some complaints about me, and I have some complaints about everybody else. So was was it inappropriate for me to say Phil sounded twice his age? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of complex. You, maybe you come down with us and find out. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a I, was like, I don't know if I complaint. have any business here or not, but I'd like to tell you about something. <laughs> I got to complain about these podcast guests we had on. <laughs> I'd like to get your take on something. Uh, oh, this guy wrote a really... See, I'm telling you, I got two stories for you guys, but they're, they're appropriate because they both border on law enforcement and law breaking. Kind of. So a guy, uh, a guy wrote in... It, it takes a lot of... Um, Something to throw yeah. yourself under the bus like this. Takes a lot of, I don't know, gumption, let's say. Chutzpah. Chutzpah. Yeah. Yiddish. We use a lot of Yiddish. Oh, I was wrong on a Yiddish word recently. Making love is to shtup. Oh, I didn't know that. It's not shtuck. It's shtup, not shtuck. Shtup. Didn't know that. And uh, someone wrote in to crack me <laughs> on Yiddish. Uh, Will. So check this out. Will from Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> This is an insane insane story. He's hunting a piece of land. So he's in Nebraska. He's hunting a piece of land accessible only by boat on the Missouri River. Okay. He had decided to take, so he's going out scouting. He wants to take down his own deer stand because he's got a camera out and there's no action on the trail camera. He says he had noticed that there had been a stand that had been sitting in the same spot in the woods for three years on the same piece of public land. In Nebraska, a stand becomes legally abandoned after February, right? So if you put a stand on public land in Nebraska, you got till February to take it down, at which point it's, it becomes part of the public property. He decides to, as he put it, acquire that stand. And then he <laughs> proceeds to go down, do some scouting. 
And that's, I, I think that's like a good <laughs> thing to do because he's not only acquiring a stand, but he's cleaning, cleaning, up. cleaning the woods up. Oh, yeah. man, there's yeah. one I got my eye on on a chunk of state land. It's been there for three years. Well, talk to this guy first. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the story gets crazy. He also had set out a line for catfish, so he goes to check out his line for catfish. He's messing with his catfish line, and another boat pulls up, asks him if he's seen anyone in the area because they just had a stand stolen. He says, quote, I messed up by panicking and not confessing that it was me and tried to play it off like I didn't know. He, was, then he was looking to the right side of his brain. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like I'm shocked that which, this guy's. Which, which I'm way was he looking? That, yeah, I'm yeah. shocked that this guy's writing in about this. He says they then decided to check my boat and found their stand. They went into a fury, and when I tried to explain my reasoning, it made no difference to them. They demanded, under threat of violence, that I show them my ID, and then asked if I had taken a shit by their setup. <laughs> <laughs> I had. <laughs> he says they had. <laughs> he says they had a whole illegal camp set up with two by fours nailed into trees to make a windbreak and a picnic table and a fire pit. But he thought this stuff was from years past and it was obvious they had been there a long time. So when nature called, I took a dump there. They then demanded once again under threats of kicking my ass that I pick up my shit with my bare hands and discard it. <laughs> oh. So I did what I had to do to not get beat up. I then left and was told to not come back there again. I'm still going to hunt there because I did see some nice scrapes and rubs. <laughs> that's, that's the best part wow. of the whole thing. That's, that's man dedicated to the cause right there. He wanted to get uh, our opinion on it. I don't I have no opinions. I have one opinion. He's a surface shitter. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's bad. Oh, yeah. That is a good opinion. Yeah, but the other guys are in the <laughs> wrong, too. Oh, I mean, no, 100%. Two wrongs don't make it right. Sort it out with a game warden. Two wrongs don't he, make it right. He, sh he should have buried his uh, shit, and then he wouldn't at least would have had half the problems that he had. He, um... He says, also, I'd like to serve as an example of how even if you're not breaking the law, you can still find yourself in trouble. And once caught, just tell the truth. Because if you don't, nothing you say after that will be believable. <laughs> no also, shit. don't shit in other people's camps. <laughs> um, here's what I want to bring up, but it's, it, this is going to take some production skills. We got it. Yanni, do you remember long ago? What episode number was that? 60. Double digits. Episode 60. Long we time recorded ago. an episode in Guyana with a Makushi man named Roven Alvin. I do remember this. Do you remember what Roven told us was going on with the local white lipped peccary population? No. I, I remember, remember something that. about that. He told us. He told us that they were having a problem because there was a village down the river that was jealous of his village's prosperity. Okay. And they had a shaman who had locked all of their peccaries in a mountain. And they were, had a young shaman in their village that they were hoping would get trained up and develop the necessary skills to unlock 
the peccaries from the mountain because they hunt white lip peccaries. The other day I'm looking through my emails and there's a, I subscribed to a news uh, list and there's a email, there's an article, a study called The Case of Latin America's Mysterious Disappearing and Reappearing White Lip Peccaries. And it gets into how, so they, they look very similar to a javelina, which is a collared peccary, but they run in herds of two, three hundred. I mean, there's, there's a video attached to this article that just is like a, a, like a, a trail along a river and it, it just goes on for seven, eight minutes. My kids love it. It's just seven, eight minutes of white lip peccaries just flooding through across this trail. Uh, and it goes on to talk about this research to document large scale white lip peccary disappearances and wild population cycling across their range in Latin America. And it alludes to indigenous people's mythologies that were built up to explain how it could happen that one minute there's hundreds Mm -hmm. and you're living off them. And the next minute they're just gone. And the article talked about that very thing. Um, other more, what would you use for it? Not a cult. That's not the right word. Spiritual ex. I don't know. Is that the right word? Spiritual explanations. What would you say? Yeah, sure. otherworldly yeah. explanations, maybe. Spiritual explanations for a phenomenon that researchers are just now trying to understand. It goes on and on. But I think we should revisit that story um, from Rovin as much, as much as is possible. And then think about that where this paper it goes on and on about these wild population migrations and fluctuations and talks about this being a long-standing puzzle among indigenous peoples. Rovin, we talked about something privately, and if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. But would you mind talking to a public audience about what happened with the peccaries, or is that something you don't want to discuss? Like, why you're not seeing them right now? Well, um, we have a shaman. They are like the I would say they are like the doctors, nurses, whatever you could call in your country. But here we have like shamans, they are knowledgeable. They have the power of using, uh, we call it Amarian high science. They can do anything to a fish, to the river, to animals, such as peccaries. Um, 12, approximately 12 years ago, we used to have a lot of peccaries coming close to the village. Yeah, feeding. a white white lip peccary, yeah, which peccaries. would come like a 100 or 200 right. of them at a time. Yeah. And they're like a hog, pig kind of. Yeah, we call them white, white hogs. We call them havel. We have the collared peccary, which is called a javelina. This is a bigger, louder, more gregarious javelina, species of havel, yeah. collared white lip peccary. So this these hogs, white hogs, peccaries, used to come and feed in. In the end of the ponds, you know, feeding on fruit nuts, worm, and as you go travel up the river, you can bump into them. You can hear them from a distance. You can even smell them. Used to find, used to, we used to have a lot of fun, like shooting, and we have like meat. We can barbecue, lots of barbecues, fresh meat. Now, in other Amerindian villages, 
they have people that have very knowledge, like you said, shaman, and because of we um, having a lot of food, and and where they don't. Now there's like jealousy. If forever, if I'm jealous of Steve, Steve is accurate in shooting. I would do my high science on Steve, and next time he wouldn't shoot accurate. Anything he shoot is like miss, keep missing. Like throw because, a curse on him. Oh. Yeah, like miss. So because of my, I use my high science on him. So people are like like that here. So what they do is like they stop the pickeries, they lock them up somewhere. Well, I don't know where, but somewhere between the mountains. I have no idea. Using their high science. Now, to get the pickers to come out from there, we have to get another another shaman that could do the high science to get the pickers out from there because they are locked up there. Now, if we have one like that, we could get the pickers out. Now, they will be all over again. Yeah. But that's that's how the pickers have been stopped. How did this shaman get that get to that level? Well, is there someone training it, or you know what I mean? They they learn from their parents. Their parents like was like a shaman. He smoked tobacco through his nose, and you know, like dirt. Yeah, they do a lot of things. They can bring down like a fish spirit by shaking the bush in the house and doing their things and stuff like that. And then they can bring on like a a pickeries, uh, pickeries leader. I would call it that way. Now, hey, you know, gap with him, take a little shot of local drink, you know, by spirit. And then if the shaman said, okay, watch, I wanna lock you up here for a while, two, three years, four, five years, how many years, and be there, and don't come away. I want you to be there. I want you, you know, stay there. That's how the, the shaman works. They they have like a little power. The signs they are working. So they are like good and bad ones. Yeah. So I don't know if you were here and you saw the pickeries, but um, we used to have a lot of pickeries here. We have to have a lot of meats. We, have, we used to have a lot of fun. But now there is no white pickeries. We just have the colored ones around. Did the did the shaman or the other village that used the high science to lock up the peccaries, did they tell you that they were doing this or did the peccaries just disappear and then you 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 speculated that that's why they Yeah. We we know we know we know because for a while we didn't see any peccaries and then we have our shaman in the village is not perfect but at least you can get some experience but he could or he could tell you what is happening he knows what's happening he, he knows what happened yeah. so he said oh, well there's somebody locked them up there so they're there that's why they're not coming out anymore even, even with the fish like if somebody like do something to the river you will hardly get some fish hardly get some turtles otters caimans and so on so that is how the shaman works. They are good ones and bad ones. You know, they could do any anything. Yeah, I understand. Whoever like, I understand why someone would be jealous of Rewa Village because it's a beautiful 
village that's wonderful to visit. So I understand how someone that had a bad village that wasn't this way and this friendly and such great people. Um, I see how they would get jealous. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think that you, I, I don't think that, 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 that I, I hope that your peccaries come back. Yeah. I hope they yeah. come back soon. Someday I'll start becoming a shaman. Bring out all, bring out all the peccaries. <laughs> I hope, I hope that they come back. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money. And provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Hey, everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months, I've become friends with, and my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them, and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, They're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system 
has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20-plus years. Decked is a game-changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Guy wrote in, well, I always say that pronghorns smell like Frito-Lay corn chips. It's a bacteria. Dogs oh. get it. Dogs can get it. It's not harmful, but that dogs can get the same bacteria that makes them smell like corn chips. So I wasn't lying. When you guys round up those pronghorn, do you ever get a whiff of Frito smell? Uh, um, I gotta say, I what, what's don't his eyes recall. Doing right now? Yeah, oh. <laughs> I saw him dart wild. Yeah, yeah they went <laughs> trying to, to, the, to his right up a little bit. <laughs> what does it smell like? It smells like the desert. Yeah, the, I I can't say that I've ever smelt corn chips. It, I'll tell when, you exactly what it smells like. Not just corn chips. Frito Lay Frito. Well, because yeah. I was I was thinking about uh, a while back. I can't remember which guest it was that, that you had. Had um, he was talking about how like one of his favorite smells is like when your dog is sleeping and you know it's a really good sleep because your dog gets up and it smells like corn chips. Yeah. And he said mm-hmm. that I was in my car listening to that and I was like. Oh my God, I'm not the only one that's ever smelt that. Like I thought, <laughs> I thought for sure I was the one that was crazy. Like, I, because I talked to my kids about it mm-hmm. and they're like, I don't think I've ever smelled that from the dogs, dad. And I'm like, I swear, like sometimes when the dogs sleep, if it's a really good sleep, they get up <laughs> and it smells like corn chips. And I just heard it. Somebody else, somebody else has a dog that does that. And I was super psyched that, okay, I'm not crazy. Like this is, and now there's scientific sure. information that backs up. My dogs can smell like corn chips, yep. and it's okay. I actually think that it's on the it's on their pads of their yep. feet. Is yeah. it's on the pads, it's pads of their feet. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. It's not harmful, but it can spin out of control. It talks about dogs control their body temperature by panting. Since they don't perspire, the only place dogs have to cool down is on the bottom of their feet. She emphasizes that this veterinarian emphasizes that the Frito smell is completely normal and doesn't mean that your dog has a bacterial or fungal infection. However, these older, it goes on, these older, they can get out of control and uh, your dog can get unhealthy feet, bumps, redness, swelling, or changes in your dog's behavior. So watch out for that. All right. Do you guys want to start with the southern border or the northern border? How are we supposed to do this, Corinne? Your call. Hmm. hmm. It's your I don't call. know. You guys like rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> I don't know. What way is the wind blowing today? Is it coming from the north still? <clears throat> I was, I was going to say north. I don't know why it's my decision, but someone's yeah. got yeah. 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 to make yeah. a call. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, start let's, start start with, let's start with the north. Let's that, do that yeah. so we don't I feel forget like as well. The, uh, the, we, the yeah. south is the uh, carrot. Okay. Oh. Ooh. What? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Patrol the northern border. Um, I made a joke about it being sleepy, but what are the primary... What are the primary... Things that will like, look, what are the primary illicit activities that happen along the northern border? So, so 
in reality, so just a quick one-on-one on, on Border Patrol. Uh, Border Patrol is one component within Customs and Border Protection. Um, and, and I want to make a clarification that there are, there are three law enforcement components within side Customs and, and Border Protection. Oh, can you can you touch on where Department of Homeland Security comes into this? Department of Homeland Security is the mother agency. So okay. uh, CBP is basically an agency with inside the Department of Homeland Security, which is basically the— Don't do all the acronyms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So DHS or Department of Homeland Security is the cabinet level. Okay. And then um, the agency level is Customs and Border Protection. Uh, a, a, a better analogy would be Department of Justice and FBI. So FBI is a— is an agency with inside the Department of Justice. Got it. And so that's where CBP falls in. Um, Border Patrol is a component of CBP. There are three law enforcement entities of CBP. Air and Marine. Air and Marines are the folks that fly all the helicopters and do all the the deep water stuff, right, out in in, in the Atlantic Ocean. How have I never heard of that? Uh, well, probably because most people don't. Most people, when they think about the Border Patrol, they think about the people that you encounter crossing the border. It's called Air and Marine. Air and Marine. Yeah. Air and Marine operations. And they are they are the component. They fly all the Not helicopter. Coast Guard. Not Coast Guard. Coast Guard is an entity of DHS. Okay. So do they run like the edge of US waters and international waters? Like is that the extent of their range or they they do along with Border Patrol. So the separation of what we call deep water and brown blue water and brown water. So me being a sailor, right? I'm a blue water sailor, Coast Guard are brown water sailors because they hug the they never get out out of sight of the shore. So our, our air and marine folks, those guys go into the deep water because the, they have the bigger boats and go out and interact, uh, stuff like you'd see the Cuban refugees and things coming across Got it. in Miami. And then our border patrol agents still operate air and marine boats, but they operate in the coastal waterways, the Great Lakes and things like that. And they operate within about three to five miles of the coastline. So can air and marine operate in international waters? Um. I'd have to. Do you remember back in your days, uh, from the on the on the water? No, I don't. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I don't I think, think they, they get out far enough in the water. But no, in, I don't. In the air, uh, they have a lot more uh, liberty, right, for some of their operations. They do. Yeah. So I would say that historically, they probably stay within federal waters. federal waters, yeah. right? And if they are operating outside into into international waters, they're probably working in with the Coast Guard because Coast Guard has that ability to do that type of stuff. Got it. So Air and Marine, they handle, like I said, they're all our pilots. There are, um, and they handle all the, all the deep water, blue water um, activities. Um, Office of Field Operations, those are the blue uniforms. Those are the folks that you're going to encounter at the port of entry and trade and at the airport. So their responsibility is 100% between the confines or within the, the, the fence line of the port of entry. That's what OFO does. So when you guys go to Mexico or go to Canada and come through a port of entry, you're interacting with with uh, officers from field operations. And then the Border Patrol is the entity. Those are green uniforms. We operate in between the ports of entry. So all that traffic that comes in of the legal, legal entries is what the Border Patrol is is encountering and, and working on. Got it. Okay, that's a unique – okay. Let's say you're crossing – I know we're, we're back to – I just can't – I'm going to go to the southern border for a minute. Okay. You're crossing at the Agua Prieta Douglas crossing. Mm -hmm. You're, when you're in that customs process, you're not dealing with border patrol. No, you're dealing with field, office of field operations, customs and, and border patrol. Different officers. color uniform. Different color uniform, different component within. But if I go customs. off 20, if I go east or west 20 miles and try to do the same thing, yeah. 
if you're hunting south of New Mexico and you find yourself up on the line because you're tracking something and you cross the line, then you're going to be dealing with the Border Patrol because you've just made an entry at a place in time not designated as a port of entry. Oh. Did you know all that, Yanni? I did not. It makes sense. Okay. Go so, on. So that's how, that's basically the 101 uh, of Border Patrol, and we operate between the ports of entries. And somehow I've lost the question. So <laughs> what, um, on that, on that wide open, lonely border, that northern border between the U.S. and Canada, what kind of um, dark, shady stuff goes on up there? Uh, for, so the difference between the northern border and the southern border, on the northern border, because uh, obviously we're dealing with weather and uh, the geography is a little bit different along the northern border, obviously. The, not that Arizona doesn't have mountains, but the mountains are bigger in 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 Colorado and Montana, or in Montana than they are in Arizona. It, see, the, the traffic is a little bit lower, but you deal with what we call a little bit more exciting things. So um, just here recently, we had a, uh, a gentleman from, from Canada kidnap his, his living girlfriend and their two children. And he was a sex trafficker and ended up coming south. E- he came through a place not designated port of entry. And we ended up with a task force. We apprehended them. I don't know why this guy went to, to Sturgis, South Dakota at the time of Sturgis when they had every cop in the world there, but that's where he ended up going. And through a task force, we ended up apprehending this guy. This guy was the, the his, his girlfriend had some mental incapacities, um, but his goal was to take the children to use for child pornography. At, at Sturgis. At Sturgis. For whatever reason, he went to Sturgis. I, have uh, no I don't clue. have to struggle for reasons why he would have went well, to Sturgis. He, obviously, he, he had no intelligence. That's the last place I would go. During during bike because of the law enforcement because the law enforcement coverage but that's yeah, well, where there's also a handful of uh, well yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so it's those type of cases that we run into and and uh, the other stuff that we get right now guns are super super popular in Canada um, because of the gun laws and things in Canada Canada so a a a weapon a polymer eighty right those those Glock clones yep. that we buy here for what couple hundred bucks they're selling for five and six thousand dollars a piece. In Canada, so that's the so stuff. So that stuff moving the other direction. That stuff moving the other direction. Well, how is that your responsibility? Uh, pushing borders out. Uh, the Border Patrol, we want to be partners with with all law enforcement entities. And, and our focus is on, and, and what I would call, border security and more along homeland security and pushing those borders out and making the entire border safe. And we can only do that by working with our Canadian partners and our Mexican partners. So, so yeah, I never thought that if you're at the border, you're also looking southward. Yeah, so that's the concept that we are like that we're working on in Haver. Like I'd commented earlier, we go all the way down to Colorado and Utah. Our focus is on homeland security entities, right? Those things that have an impact on on the entire homeland security, trafficking of children, trafficking of people, smuggling of weapons, and I don't, I don't need to talk about fentanyl. All you got to do is turn on the news and see what's happened in fentanyl. So with the border patrol and our law enforcement capabilities with Title Eight, Title Nineteen, and Title Twenty One, which is uh, uh, Title Nineteen is the Customs and, and Tariffs Law, uh, Title Twenty One is the Narcotics Law, and Title Eight is the overall criminal statute for for the United States. We have authorities in all three of those titles. So that gives us the ability to interdict all that traffic. So that's what we're trying to do in the Border Patrol is go after those things that are that are dangerous to the country. Like, I mean, everyone has ch- child traffickers out of, uh, off, off the streets, and we want to get fentanyl off the streets. And that's the direction that we're trying to go with the Border Patrol is not, so, not be so much focused on the border. We're focused on the border, but we want to focus on those on those things that have an impact throughout home homeland security or public safety. How do how do people move 
how do people move guns across the, like if you're trying to move guns into Canada, how do you see it done? Do you see it done at, you see it done at, not at crossings? Oh, you actually see a mix, right? So again, the, and like we had talked about earlier, smugglers go through great, great stints to try to hide whatever product they're trying to, trying to smuggle. Um, we've seen, we've seen narcotics on Amtrak coming from Seattle, going to New York or to Minneapolis and then the cash that that's coming back. Mm-hmm. We see in, in most cases, a lot of that stuff is probably happening between the ports of entries where they go out just like you would hunting to go out and scout an area to see where traffic is, where they can actually get across. And they bring across through either smuggling it through a port of entry. They use hidden compartments in vehicles um, for narcotics. They use body carriers, a whole gamut of things that they try to do. Do cartels ever <clears throat> move? Like, is it, do, Drug traffickers in South, in Colombia, wherever, South and Central America, do they ever get stuff to Canada and then into the U.S. from Canada? Or does that just add a lot of complexity? Um, I, I, well, I, again, I think, like I said, this new paradigm, right? We're seeing, we're seeing smugglers go through different stents to try to, to try to make money, right? I mean, when we talk about when we talk about people trying to come to the United States, there's always somebody out there that's going to prey on that person, right? They're going to they're going to they're going to drive him into slavery. So they're going to say, "I'll smuggle you." It's going to be twenty thousand dollars per person. So this person brings him in there, the, his five family members. So now he's he's in destitute to the smugglers. So he doesn't have that money. So they put him to work to work for them. And, and so they're working for them, but they're also having to pay the smugglers rent. They have to pay the smugglers, the electricity and all that stuff. So all the money that they make to try to pay back being smuggling, they never touch mm-hmm. because they're, they're hitting them on all these other factions. Of, they're shopping at they're the shop- company store. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're just destitute to doing that. So that's the type of stuff that they do. I, I, I think that, um, narc, uh, cartels are going to do whatever they can to make money. And if there's a way to make money to take a product to Canada, and come south, they will. Um, in fact, I think that I I wouldn't be surprised to see it with with Mexican nationals. I mean, Canada has a very liberal visa waiver pro- program. So the visa waiver, the, the countries on 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 the visa waiver list for Canada are, are, are like three hundred or four hundred countries are on there. All you have to do is be from that country. You come into Canada, and you're given automatic status in Canada as a non-immigrant. And they give them money to live and survive for approximately twelve months. So I wouldn't. So I, a good first step is the good first step is to make it into Canada and then utilize those social welfare programs. And then when that's done, then you can come south. Or if you can get Canadian citizenship, then it's a free boat, right? Because we're, we it's open borders for just as it's open borders for us to go to Canada. It's open borders for Canadian citizens to come south. Canadian citizens, whether they're naturalized or born Canadian citizens, they can come back and forth. So because that entity's out there, the things that we look at is there's a possibility for somebody to come up, utilize those programs, and then be smuggled back down south. Yep. Um, a lot of the 9-11 hijackers flowed through Canada. All four of them. It was a hell of a lot more than four. Oh, uh, I mean, well, all four crews. All four, the, four, the four on the planes all came through. Oh. Actually came through Swanton, Vermont. And they really? over in Swanton. Huh. Who... I, I, just the other day, I had a conversation with someone where they're telling me that they had gone black bear hunting in Canada. Okay, like many people do. There's places that run like bear bait factories in mm-hmm. Canada, and so many you know guys go up to hunt bears in Canada. And he was telling me, and it's the thing I hear all the time. He was telling me that they told him you can't bring the meat home. 
No, that's that's not true. That's I know, but true. there's so much confusion about if you ask ten guys, you're gonna get ten different answers about how it works with that. You can't bring your gun, you can't bring meat, you can't drive from Alaska, even though I know you can, you can't like take Alaska meat from Alaska into the lower forty eight because of da da da. Who's um who's bidding like who is setting those rules? So those rules are the, those are the um, the ag specialists that actually work for OFO. Or What's for OFO? Off, Office of Field Operations, the guys at the port of entry. So you, if you come into a port of entry and you see somebody at at the at the primary and they're wearing a weapon, that's an that's an officer. They also have folks that aren't armed. They're non law enforcement types and they're ag specialists. They're the ones that set those responsibilities. So moose is a perfect example. You can go up and hunt moose in Canada. The only thing you can't bring south is is any of the contents of the head because of the brain because CWD. CWD, yeah. Okay, so so, so with but tell the meat me, can come across without a problem. So tell me what someone would need to do. Uh you go bear hunting in Canada um and you want to drive up with a gun and you want to come back with the bear meat and the bear hide and everything. So and if you follow the proper stuff, there's no reason you can't do that. No, Correct. not at not all. At and, all. And, and, and I just did it in my personal capacity too. I went up to, I went up to New Brunswick, shot a black bear and just did just this past September and went through that entire process. Brought the and whole so, thing home. Yep. Uh, uh, it can't bring, can't bring the baculum back. Mm. Um, can't bring gallbladder. gallbladder. Yeah. Um, and, and quite, quite frankly, it's the, it's the, uh, I don't know their, what their official name is, but it's basically their version of U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the Canadian uh, Fish and Wildlife, for lack of a better term. They're the ones that actually did the, the rigorous inspection on the way out of the country on their side. Um, uh, to make sure you weren't bringing down stuff that has a black market. Correct. And, and extreme, you fill out a survey. They do a deep dive into what outfitter you're used. They, uh, we were talking about investigative techniques. They investigated, they separated me and my best friend, who was the driver, Talked asked just to see if we're telling the same story, but asking us about what outfitter we used. Uh, did the outfitter get the animal in the field? Did the outfitter himself take anything back from the gut pile when he came back to camp? How many days we were there? Um, huh. So that, like that's and because they're trying because of the black market trade for all of the animal parts specific to uh, controlled species in Canada, they want to make sure that those things aren't being transported illegally throughout their country or back into the United States. Um, as far as the process of just going over and coming back, it was at this time around, you know, uh, you know, I, we were kind of nervous because of all the things post COVID with the Canadian restrictions on, on going there. There's a new app you got to fill out, uh, to arrive can and whatnot. We thought it was going to be pretty difficult and it was actually really, really seamless. Um, all things considered, uh, the, the bringing in a gun, you could bring up to, I believe up to three guns per person. Hmm. Um, it's a simple form. They, where you just identify, what guns you're bringing up, serial numbers, and I believe you pay a $25 permit fee and you just have to keep it on your person the entire time you're hunting. And on the way back, um, it's, it's just an inspection by Canada on the way out uh, by, their, uh, by their fish and game agency to make sure of all those things we just talked about. But uh, taking the meat back, taking, I had already, I cleaned my skull and we boiled our skulls in Canada. Mm -hmm. So I don't know the restrictions on brain matter for bear. Cause I don't know if, if their brain matter is a disease carrying, but, um, not, not that I know of, yeah, but it might so, just be uh, that they don't, it might be that they don't they, create a whole what, bunch of room for interpretation. Like if you're, what, what my experience and what I kind of sense from them is if you're bringing, 
like the entire he- the entire animal back uh, absent internals there's a lot less of an issue whereas if you just like if you tried to do things like pull the claws and just bring the claws back they ding you on that got it but if you're bringing back the entire he- the entire hide with the skull inside the hide and the claws still on everything, no issue. So long as you're not bringing back the restricted items like baculum and, and gallbladder. Hmm. I didn't know <clears throat> there was a black market on baculum. Did you know that prior to going? Have you no, heard I this? only knew about gallbladder. Yeah. You you mentioned the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Do you guys work with them a lot for like illegal trafficking, endangered species stuff? Like, is that a big partnership? Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the things that 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 we do work with them on, um, you know, not so much on their investigative per the, the whole investigation side of it, but like some, sometimes it's initiation of because of a lot of the training that, that we do that, that, um, cross agency training and interagency training, like when there are, um, you know, it's like certain times of the year when, um, there's a lot of, um, herpetology, uh, what's, I can't remember what the, we call them like herp thieves or poachers. Um, so they'll come out and like the fish and wildlife service will let us know, Hey, you know, it's springtime. We're going to get a lot of, um, herp poachers out. And so we'll, we'll get together with them and we'll create like little campaigns within, um, you know, within the patrol, within the sectors and stations to like create little, um, kind of like posters and emailings out that we'll talk about at our musters and say, Hey guys, you know, fish and wildlife, you know, they're, they're going to be out there, but these are some of the things to look out for. And if you happen to see that, you know, from, you know, while you're out there patrolling, here's the contact information. So they're interested in people smuggling across the border. Not, not even, or they're uh, just interested in people out in the landscape, stealing yeah, snakes both. and lizards and whatnot. Yeah. yeah I guess, I guess yeah. I was asking, more like when you see a news article like man gets busted with 47 whatever endangered endangered species in his suitcase or whatever mm-hmm. like is that like do you work with the US Fish and Wildlife Service on those kinds of things so, or so when it's something like that where it's like you said you know busted in a suitcase with yeah. you know 25 you know endangered bats or sparrows yeah. or something a lot of the time that's what like what chief fortunato was talking about um is when it's an ag specialist that's probably caught that at a port of entry like they were going through the port mm-hmm. of entry and they were inspecting the uh, the contents of the bag and then they found that you know on the bag or on their person and stuff like that um but uh, again, with Border Patrol, we're working in between the yeah. ports of entry. So like we'll do stuff with like the, the land management LEO for, you know, the, the wildlife refuge or the yeah. park, um, you know, or even, you know, one of their biologist specialists that let us know about something. So, and, and, and I yeah. actually think it depends on the area too. So if you go down to, to the Rio Grande Valley, there's, there's Santa Ana Refuge, which is right on the Rio Grande River, which is a very big populated location for smuggling back and forth across. And I don't know if you guys have ever been down south, but in a very heavily trafficked area, the the landing on the on the riverside is is destroyed. Plastic bags, water bottles, these makeshift flotation devices oh, yeah, and man. things like that. And that Santa Ana Refuge is is known for a spot for them to come across in that area. And it just riddles the entire public land where people in Santa Refuge, it's a hiking area and things like that, where they have to go down and, and, and see all that type of stuff. So when the when somebody comes across there, it's often a fish and wildlife person that might encounter them first that would come up and we would encounter them and, and, and work that direction. So I think a lot depends on 
on on the area that is in proximity to the border and and things that go along that. I know also in in Rio Grande Valley with the with the river, fish and wildlife is is on the river. So there's a lot of times where they'll they'll jump on a boat with border patrol and then patrol, which then takes the the scope of, the scope and authority a little bit bigger. So now you just don't have the scope. Uh, of authority of the border patrol agent, be of the scope authority of the fish and wildlife officer, so that you can do more things. Same thing with Coast Guard. When we put a Coast Guard person on our boat, we now have all the authorities of Coast Guard, so we can do oh, checks and things like yeah. that. Uh, I got to, here's another question about the northern border. What is if you imagine the most I don't know the most remote areas of the northern border, like say the Boundary Waters or oh yeah okay. <laughs> I worked there for eleven years. How do you know? Do you know when you've crossed the border? So, so in, in reality, right? So yes and no, right? Cause we use GPSs and things like that. Um, like in the boundary waters, right? It's a pristine, there's no mechanized traffic. Yeah, there's no, but there's no, there's no, there's no cut line. There is no cut line. Right. So, and the thought process, this comes on and it's the same thing with the Rio Grande river. When you're, when you're working that, our concept is you can't take water and split it in half and say, this belongs to the United States and this belongs to Mexico or, or this belongs to Canada and this belongs to the United, to the United yeah, States. The, the, they do it all the time. Well, they try to, but the reality is <laughs> as long as, and this is our thought process, as long as you don't make a meaningful entry and a meaningful entry on water would be to stop and drop acre or drop a fishing line or something like that, and you're just cascading through, if you're on a canoe and a canoe, you're canoeing, as long as you don't make a meaningful entry, stop and do something, then you just keep on going. It doesn't really matter. It's when you actually stop and drop a fishing line or stop. That means and, you're in Canada That now. means you're now in Canada. You made a meaningful entry. Really? Yep. So if I just nudged my foot across the border, I've broken the law. On Did you land. make a meaningful entry? So in re, in reality, and, and and James, you worked in in Del Rio. It's probably the same way. We actually didn't consider folks coming across the river when I worked in in McAllen, Texas. We didn't think we didn't consider them making an entry till they made landfall. If they were standing on the U.S. side and still ankle deep in water, we didn't touch them because they they haven't made a meaningful entry. But the moment they come on land, they've made a meaningful entry. Now I'm not saying that people probably weren't grabbed. Because that probably did happen, but the reality is, in most cases, you could step and say until they actually leave the crest of the water, they haven't made a meaningful entry. Okay. So if you if you stepped out to go to the bathroom, then you made a meaningful entry. Like if entry. I was canoeing up yeah. in the boundary water. Yeah, you, yeah, they would say that you made a meaningful entry. Let's move. Uh, we before, never before we move on oh, to the southern you had, no, you had another north question. I do. No, please. We hear this threat in Montana of uh, wild pigs. Coming down from Canada, wild pigs. Like, <laughs> this is new yeah. to you. Suska- yeah. Supposedly, feral pigs. Supposedly, yeah. Saskatchewan has like a little population of wild hogs. Game farm, yeah, like escapees. Yep. I maybe even in the regs, there's always like a little blip in there about like, if oh yeah, you, if you see you know feral pigs when you're hunting up, you know, in that haver area, you know, on the High Line or whatever along the Canadian border. To immediately notify, you know, the local warden, but no, no, no thoughts or, or I guess there's there must not be that big of a problem if you guys aren't. You never pulled aware, your pistol on a wild pig. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. Show but. me your ID. <laughs> um, I, I would relate it to. I, I don't know. I think that the the similarities would be a livestock on, on the on the Mexican side. So we have we have tick riders down in 
in Texas. Yeah. And there's a lot of feral pigs, horses, and cattle that come across the river. And that would be tick riders that would go out and interdict that traffic because of, of the ticks and things down there. Well, who's that now? The tick riders. Do you remember? I think they are uh, an interior. They're a department of interior. No. Uh, it, uh, what's the, um, it's the international, do they work on the International, international Water and Boundary yeah, Commission? Yeah. No, or, I thought they were at agriculture. I think they're, yeah, it's, I don't think it's, um, I think they work for um, Boundary Water. Yeah, so they, so they are, yeah. they're, they're a law enforcement official. Their sole job, they ride horses. They go out and they, they look for livestock or traffic or animal traffic that has come from Mexico to the United States to apprehend them, to take them and dip them because of the ticks in, in, in Mexico. Just livestock, yeah. Just not li- wildlife. I haven't heard anything a lot. So, well, no, I tell you, you not, guys not are real. You guys, wildlife. colleagues, are real stickers about uh, <laughs> when you when someone wants to bring a deer cape. If let's oh, say you're hunting coos deer in Mexico mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you're looking at the U.S. border, okay? So you imagine a tick, like an ambitious tick, would just <laughs> later that day walk easy. over yeah, there. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but but you want it? You're looking. You could kill a deer in sight of the U.S. border. And when you go through customs, you can't have a single tick on that cape. Oh, no, they'll take it. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, so that's part of the, that's why we would not, you know, I, I get it. Like, you don't know where it came from, whatever. You got to do your job. But I would laugh about, well, how many ticks right now are crossing that border on coyotes, I mean, the animal, mm-hmm. on whatever the hell. Yeah. Pronghorn, mule deer, coos yeah. deer, like, ticks are back and forth i had no idea that there's someone out actually yeah cruising for, for ticks cruising for livestock to, to just because of the ticks do they got a badge that says tick they, patrol? they are they are yeah. law enforcement they, i think they're i think steve wants a badge <laughs> <laughs> yeah. job man yeah. <laughs> i, I, I actually think they're job. department of Agri- agriculture and uh, and i'm not sure exactly where they work for but they are they are a law enforcement officer federal officer that works and that's their sole job is and it's mainly horses and cattle and and hogs. Yeah. So yeah, wildlife would be a wildlife would be yeah, it'd be hard to. I mean, how are we going to? Yeah, so wildlife wildlife just comes and goes. Yeah. But when, if there's a if there's a Mexican cow that comes across and gets through the double tick fence and onto you know some rancher's What's population, the double tick fence? They have two, uh, particularly in in Texas is is where I know it is. They mm-hmm. have a they have one basically barbed wire fence right on the water, and then another one like like ten yards off of that. And it's to try if anything gets past the first one, at least it's contained in that one little barrier close to the riparian zone right uh-huh. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if it gets through that second one, so they try and contain them in that little that little corridor right there, so they don't make you know and further into whatever property they're on. Yep. And then they start mixing with if they if whatever they're carrying gets with the the cattle that these ranchers are, are running, it, it becomes a bad day. And yeah. we we've had situations where like a smuggler's horse gets through, and then we have the season, and it's. It's a ton of paperwork when you're dealing with a with a with a horse from Mexico. <laughs> Is that right? It's a bad day. Smugglers yeah. will use horses. Oh, for oh, sure, absolutely. What's even worse is if if because you don't know where they came across. So if you're out patrolling, you see this horse or something walking on the drag road. You don't know where it came from. They just know it's not supposed to be there. You call a tick rider, and if it happens to be just the local farmer whose horse got out, oh yeah, they get a little fired up. Dude, man, <laughs> I wish you guys hadn't brought up this tick rider yeah. thing because. It I says, wish I, I wish I knew that. Yeah. I wish I was the only guy that knew, <laughs> the only media person that knew about tick riders. Yeah. <laughs> to, to answer your question, I haven't heard anything about feral hogs coming south from from Canada. Oh yeah, I forgot about. Well, good. <laughs> so they're on the lookout. If you look at where I used to think that hogs would buy, sort of like by definition, have to be would be confined to the American South, um, but that's not true. 
No. If you look at like maps of where where hogs could feasibly, you know, without any sort of human persecution, where hogs could feasibly live, it's the lower forty. Didn't you guys just do a question yeah, on that like recently? Thirty five states, like thirty four, some ridiculous 30, number. Yeah, thirty four states have confirmed. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. And there's no reason that they. I mean, I guess you could in the northern Great Plains, you could feasibly have like the the landscape would support them. Probably. I would think so, Because yeah. you need to be like, well, I thought it'd be too cold, but then you think about where they're at in Siberia. Well, Yanus is up in Latvia. How high is Latvia? It's not. that. It's like the same uh, latitude as Juno. But it's got pigs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that sounds pretty cold to me. Native pigs. <laughs> yeah, it's got native wild Well, hogs. I guess, yeah. In the Because well, I think of Juno as within the context of Alaska and like the southeast of Alaska is just not nowhere near the extreme temps got as up yeah. north. You but know, the, it's like the Arctic, not yeah. the Arctic Circle. Yeah, you know? latitude-wise. No, but, they got. Uh, they could have a tremendous... They could, they could be there. I think it'd just be easier to, obviously, eradicating hogs on the northern plains would be like a much easier job. Than out of heavily Georgia, yeah, yeah, than out of swampy, jungly shit. Uh, I mean, even though even though it's mostly private land, Texas is pretty open, and uh, that yeah, but they got not open like that. They They made a business out of it. So, (laughs) oh yeah, and I'm real skeptical. We we covered this recently. We had a guy. We just did an episode in Hawaii, and we're on a coffee plantation, and you know, all the pigs. You know, they don't. All the pigs cause so much damage. And I asked my buddy who loves to hunt them. I said, do you really want them gone? No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, I said, in my personal opinion, I'd say, uh, you Montana boys better start shooting them pigs before they post regs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was saying, if you really hated the pigs, I was telling my friend Danny, who's been on the podcast before, I said, if you really hated pigs, you'd put up a big sign that said, please come hunt my land. I said, your pigs be gone. Mm-hmm. And he said, but can you imagine what kinds of people would show up? And my buddy Callahan said, barbecuers. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want... Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with, and my God have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives 
for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system made in the USA gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like You still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. All right, let's talk about the southern border. We kind of, we're already kind of talking about the southern border with the tick riders. How many tick riders are there? I think they're mainly based in Texas, a handful. It's not, it's not a big agency. This article I was just reading, uh, they are from under the USDA. And okay. In 2017, there was 86 of them. Yeah. 86 not, not tick big. riders. Not very big. I feel that, but I don't know. Sizable. You need to write a little <laughs> ballad. Use your horse for the ballad of the tick riders. I was going to say, oh. it's too bad Larry McMurtry's not, still not around to write like a thousand page novel. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Tick riders. titillated. <laughs> to the extreme. Oh, you know the double, you're talking about the double fence? Mm-hmm. I was on a, a friend's ranch not long ago, and one of his line fences was a double fence. Yep. And I asked him why he has, why one of the line fences is a double fence, and I thought that it must have been some dispute, you know, whatever. Like, who'd go through the trouble putting fences like five feet apart, six feet apart? And so I said, what's going on with that? And it's to keep... um it's from keeping the cattle from uh, stooping <laughs> through the fence. Look at that. Stooping with the neighbor's cattle. Oh, so <laughs> like keeping breeding populations away from one another? Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because they'll stoop through the fence. <laughs> wow. Surprise me. Nature's always going to happen, right? <laughs> uh, how long have you guys been? How different is working on the southern border now than it was, you know, Huh. T- 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Well, it's not even the same now as it was three years ago, right? I mean, it's yeah. just, uh, it's just, 
the, the what they're dealing with in in sheer numbers is the is, hu- human numbers. Human numbers, yeah. yeah. They're just the numbers that they're dealing with. Give me a ballpark, like. Like, like how many people are on a daily basis, how many people are in some way or another flirting with the border? Um, yeah. And I, I don't remember the numbers from last year. I think James is, is looking, I think we were for 2022, one point. Border patrol encounters fiscal year 22 was 2,214,652. And then I think 2021 was 1.5. 1.6. 1.6. Yeah. So in just one year, you know, half a million people. Apprehensions. If you had so many border patrol agents that you guys could stand along the border shoulder to shoulder, would that completely stop illegal movement across the border? Uh, and so this is going to be my opinion. All right. So it's probably so uh, you're shaking your head. No, no. I, I if there's money to be made, a smuggler is going to do something. Is going to try to smuggle something. So that I don't think that we will ever stop 100% of traffic coming back and forth across the borders. It's just not feasible. You got something you want to add? Well, it's, I mean, you, you it, could put, you could put people shoulder to shoulder and they're going to go to the air or they're going to go. Or tunnel. They're, they're going to go to concealment rate, you know, through the, through the ports of entry. Um, and so it's, you know, how, how far are we going to dig into, you know, inspections mm-hmm. more so than we already do. At yep. the international borders, you know, try and facilitate le- legitimate trade and travel um, takes a, you know, a, a unique balance of, uh, of enforcement and, um, and throughput in order to maintain our economy. Um, so, you know, uh, what is the answer? I don't know. Um, but putting forth the best, the best known practices of, uh, of, of intelligence, surveillance capabilities um, in, in order to get, you know, that, that traffic through at the ports of entry but also block off what's in between the port, the ports of entry like we do is it's, it's a delicate dance. Yeah. So everything we do, right. I mean, they're counterintelligence smugglers, counter, counterintelligence is just as good as ours. They're going to see how we're reacting to certain traffic in an area and they're going to change their tactics. And it's up to us to figure out how they've changed their tactics and react to it. So like you said, we can put a hundred percent, you know, shoulder to shoulder and they're either going to fly them over because if there's money to be made, they're going to mm-hmm. they're going to do it, or they're going to tunnel. You guys have probably we've had a rash of tunnels along the southwest border. They'll dig a tunnel and come underneath, I mean, or um, they'll they'll expand on their on their their concealment methods, like the the tractor trailer down in Laredo. They'll do different things to try to get them across. If there's money to be made, smugglers are going to are going to smuggle. Is there a part of the agency or a different agency that you guys work with that looks at it on a bigger scale, like a social scale? Like what could we do so that there wouldn't be this money to be made or wouldn't be this demand for these things that cause these issues? Or is there somebody working on it from that angle? Does that that question make sense? Well, that angle would be a consequence, right? So actions have consequences, right? And if it's a negative consequence, you probably won't do that action again. So the 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 best method of of stopping somebody from doing something is to have a negative consequence on their action, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's the delicate dance, right? To operate within as a chief patrol agent, I'm given a I'm given the left and right boundaries from the administration, and it's up to me to figure out how to get from A to B within those left and right boundaries to deliver that consequence. I think what yeah what Yanni what what you're I think what you're more referring to. Um, I would say it does happen if you look at the way that the federal government might try to go down and engage with 
governments in Venezuela, governments in Colombia mm-hmm. about how to improve conditions, adjustments that they might make where they're not creating an inhospitable environment for people that then yeah. we have to deal with at our border. So like take some of that money and try to go to the root cause. Yeah. So that's, so that, that, that's that going to be more department of state yeah. Yeah. type the, activities in order to eliminate push factors from these, from these countries. And, and we have our international affairs, uh, division over in, in operational services, another component within Customs and Border Protection, where they, they work with our foreign partners and try to figure out ways to deliver consequences and 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 also to to get other countries to step up and, and assist us in these in these actions. How how is your working working relationship with like Mexican government and authorities like is it something you guys work with that's like are they helping you prevent people from come crossing the border or is that not well I, I so we work both with 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 Canadian and and yeah and I'll, South I'm American sorry, so yeah. it, I I think the re- the relationship is pretty good but the other thing is too you have to remember now we're getting into the politics right and yeah. the politics of of Mexico and the politics of the United States are two very very different things so it's and and those agencies that we work with down there whether it's Sedena or any of those other countries or those uh agencies within the Mexican government, they, they have the same left and right boundaries that we do. So they're it, between, between the two of us, we're trying to find the best way to deliver a consequence or help, um, uh, in, in, impede, uh, traffic coming through. Right. Because, um, obviously I think this, the, the country of Mexico wants to do what they can because the impact from South American people coming through Mexico has the same impact on, on the citizens of Mexico that it does on the citizens of the United yeah, States. So they, they have a vested um, benefit in, in trying to work with us. So it's not like you guys would get a call and be like, hey, well, we have a we big have, group coming. We have folks embedded here. we have folks embedded in, in, in countries through the international affairs program. So the, that that intelligence is shared back and forth. I was hunting Havelina in Arizona. Um last February for a couple of days, just messing around with a couple of friends of mine. And we had found a big, they were showing me just a, a big trail, like kind of in an unexpected location. It's like a big crossing trail. And there were areas that had, we went to this one area they showed me where it had stashes that had been depleted, clothing stashes and water stashes, and people would change clothes and then empty water jugs. And they're like, oh, yeah, they'll have people come ahead and scout and set mm-hmm. all that stuff. Then the people can come over and they know where it's at. It was I took a T-shirt that I found, brought it home, gave it to my kid and said, that's a drug runner's T-shirt. <laughs> he got all excited about it. My wife then took it away from him because she's like, he's going to go to school. He's going to tell everybody it's a drug. Like, what do you, you know, she's like, why? <laughs> do you have to tell him that? It's in my rag bin in my garage now. But he's, <laughs> she's like, you can't give him like half a story like that and then expect him to, to know Probably. what to Probably the best place for it. <laughs> to know what to say. You know, this is a drug smuggler's shirt. The question I wanted to ask about it is, so we're in the same place for a couple of days, creeping all around in the woods, and um, no one talks to us. Like, no one comes and checks on us. And my buddy's like, they know what you're doing. Uh, Do border, they? Border Patrol. So, uh, again, I... I, I I'm just going to speak for myself and in that I, I think I can tell the difference between somebody laying in and hunting and somebody 
laying in to do something else, right? Yeah. Um, just like just like if I'm working at a port of entry and James is coming back and he's got a weapon and I said, well, why do you have a weapon? Well, I went hunting and I'm going to go through his car and I'm going to see that, oh, wait, he's got some meat. He's also got, this guy's been hunting. There's some validity to that story compared to somebody coming and saying, oh, I went bear hunting in Canada and all they have is a bunch of rifles. Mm-hmm. And they didn't look like they've been hunting at all. So I, I think in most cases, most board, they, most board patrol agents have a pretty good idea of their of the area that they're working in, and and they also have a pretty good idea of what areas are are high trafficked in hunters, and and that Got are it. high trafficked in other things. Not only that, um, you know, hunters, board patrol agents are, are very pretty good at sign cutting. All of us are are. It's just that's the one thing they say about a board patrol agent is if you need somebody to help track call the border patrol agent because they're good trackers and you uh, alien smugglers or, or or narcotic smugglers they go to great lengths to try to brush outside where hunters don't necessarily worry about that right because the sign you're following is obviously something else they'll, so, they'll brush out their tracks absolutely the they'll brush out their tracks yeah. they'll they they will wear carpet on, on their shoes to try to hide their tracks they'll they'll walk backwards to make it look like they're going the other direction. One cross in a row yeah, or something. They, Car- carry a leaf blower. Carry a leaf blower. What? I mean, yeah. any, any number of things. That's great. That I've <laughs> even seen them take hooves from, from cattle and strap them to their feet to make it look like cattle traffic and not human traffic. Yeah, you know, the weed warden we had on yeah. talked about that. Yeah, he did yeah, talk sure. about that. In an area where they had an illegal grow and you just thought it was all cattle. Yep. Yep. Making little shoes Because they're like making that. little shoes like that and they're strapping them to their feet. Oh, uh... So we have a podcast on our network that's by a guy named Clay Newcomb called the Bear Grease Podcast. Mm-hmm. He had a guy on there telling a story recently where he had killed a buck and cut the tarsal glands off it and tied the car- tarsal glands to his shoes. And he about got uh, attacked by a buck. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. I believe he it. said this buck, he could hear, he kept hearing something behind him, and this buck was coming, snorting at him. He killed it. <laughs> wow. But he said he doesn't do that anymore. I'll bet not. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> no, it did, but he said it scared him bad when he turned around, and there it was coming for him, yep. you know? Yep. Uh, let's talk about those big-ass blimps. Oh, aerostats. Yeah, no, here's where you can't. Here's where you're not going to be able to tell me anything. <laughs> What's up with those big ass blimps? <coughs> okay, can you they're not with... weather balloons. No. <laughs> <laughs> we make a real habit of staring at those blimps when we're hunting down there. Yeah, and we're like, that dude can tell. He could tell when you're picking his nose. When you're picking your nose, well, can so, he? I, I don't know about that. I'm, I haven't <laughs> seen the. So the aerostats are just like you guys know on the southwest border. We have a great deal of technology between the 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 cameras and the lights and all that stuff that's gone out there. You guys have probably been down there. You've probably seen the scope trucks or the or the the trailers that are oh yeah up in the air. Those are cool. Those kind of things. They're that, always up on the good glass oh, spots. Yeah, they're, they're causing problems, right? So the we've aer- actually gone up and leaned against those f- the fences around that stuff, glassing. Yeah. So the aerostat is just another instead of having a helo or a plane flying. We can put up an aerostat and use the aerostat like a camera to look at an area to see where traffic is coming or if traffic is coming across as a way to identify what the traffic is and then give us an idea of how to interdict it. So one one question that I had for James when we first spoke was all of the hardware and video cameras and such along the border, that's picking up everything that the camera eye will pick up. But how is that being used to, in your uh, 
field, Charles, like looking at animals crossing, you know, how that's monitoring wildlife as well. Or, yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, they're like really like cool. Like trail you'd be like, hey, camps. a jaguar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Actually, it is exactly like that. We've we have actually had um, there have been a, a few cases in the past where we've where we have you know seen big cats um, from those things. Not not from the aerostat, okay. um, but from, from some of our Buc other technology. Other surveillance, that we do have. yeah, the yeah. Buckeyes. Yeah, through some really? of our other technology. Yeah. yeah, we get some pretty over the years um, that that I've been lucky enough to to be in this position. Um, I've been privy and and able to share it with with our land management partners on some pretty unique situations that have happened with wildlife and the border. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah, I post yeah. I post a picture every month on on the Instagram page for the Haver Sector Chief. Of stuff that we've seen, mountain lions and things like that on some of our game cameras. So you've yeah. picked up, uh, you guys have picked up jaguars. We, well, I mean, we haven't no, picked not, them not up. No, picked but, up, but you, yeah, we, you, we've had, had pictures on, like, on some of our surveillance where we've had jaguars. And do you, and, not, you notify wildlife folks about that? Yeah, and we'll, you know, we have to go through, there, there are some, you know, security things that we have to go through internally, um, but we do, you know, relay that information out to Fish and Wildlife Service for their info, you know, so they can keep track also. Um, and then, you know, occasionally we have some fun stuff that happens. Like there was, um, I think it was maybe a couple of years back, we had a bear that climbed the border wall and then would climb, climb one of the um, light towers um, that's along the border or tried to climb the light tower anyways. Um, and then we had um, a a uh, mountain lion that actually got on top of the border wall and was like walking across the top of the border wall. Hmm. Oh yeah. What did he end up doing? I ended up going south. Oh, he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he came, he came from the north. Speaking of like what you're so talking about. So he crossed about. from the north to the he, south. He went north to south. South. Yeah. And right over the, right over the fence. Boop. Like, I feel like there's really? just got to be so much visual information of like interesting critter stories that all of that. I mean, I imagine there are a shit ton of cameras. Oh, so yeah. just everything that you pick up, uh, yeah. I mean, on wildlife, we, we pick up. Yeah, we pick up a lot of stuff, and and it's just the the more interesting stuff that you know, and 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 uh, more unique stuff that will that that will share. Because otherwise, like we would inundate Fish and Wildlife Service with like, hey, here's a here's another picture of a bear on this trail, you know, and and follow the bear through the trail that, um, you know, that they're going on or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever significant wildlife. So it's just like the, the more interesting things, like our guys know, like if they see a big cat, you know, um, you know, Jaguar specifically, um, or, you know, a mountain lion in, in something, a unique case that that gets relayed to me. So then we can relay it to our land management partners. Yeah. Let's now see. let's say hey. oh, go ahead. <laughs> an agent has a buddy who's a hunter, uh, great big coos buck yeah. walking yeah. around and he sees like a 120 incher on a camera. <laughs> Is there anything wrong with him being like, hey, you know, down kind of in that little zone of this creek? They're, you they're know, we, I can tell you they're tight lipped because me and Eddie, yeah. <laughs> we, when we were hunting Havelina, we tried to hit up some Border Patrol dudes and they were like, you. Like no intel. Oh, and I'm like, there's no way okay. those guys don't know what's going on. Well, oh. here's the thing: they're it's, probably hunters themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. Like one of the things it's that probably I think, this intel they'll give you. I was like, Yo, you don't know where any Havelina no. are. No. no. Well, <laughs> well, one of the things that I think a lot of people, um, you know, don't maybe I don't know. I don't want to say they don't realize, but but sometimes you got to remember is like our job as a border patrol agent is a pretty 
I'm going to say it. Sorry, chief. I'm going to say this. It's crazy. You're given, <laughs> okay. You're, you're hired and you're given, you're given training, how to sign cut, how to do this job out in, you know, in God's country, right. All across the Southern, Southern and Northern border, right. You're sometimes you're alone. Sometimes you're, you have, you, you have a partner or two to work with you out there and you come back and you do it again every day. Right. You got to be a little crazy to do that kind of job, you know, mm -hmm. and at the same time, you also have to be an avid outdoorsman or outdoors woman. You have to love the environment, mm -hmm. have some kind of love and affinity towards working outdoors to do the job that we do, which back to your question about, hey, where's this big, you know, where's this coos or where's this, you know, herd at? Well, most of us are hunters too. And so we don't want to give up <laughs> what, what we may know as a good spot. You yeah, know? I can see that. So, yeah, the, so the, the that's more what I suspect. <laughs> yeah. These guys, these guys played dumb about the javelina. I'm like, yeah. so best I can tell you, you've been out here some number of days. Haven't yeah. seen nothing. So I'll tell you a, a, a good thing about Border Patrol agent, and, and it's it doesn't matter whether it's because there's a lot of times a lot of Border Patrol agents when they're working a load of uh, dope, they'll go down and burn it just so the other Border Patrol agent doesn't catch it. So it's the same thing when it comes to hunters, right? And hunting, Border Patrol agents won't tell you a thing because they'd rather fail and not get it than see you be successful. Well, now <laughs> I'm just gonna look, now I'm gonna look at their little eyeballs. Oh, yeah. I'll be like, seen any javelina? Now, first I'm gonna be like, so you work for the Border Patrol? And I'll see what his eyes do, and then I'm gonna ask him about the javelina. Yeah. If you uh, okay, let, let's talk about uh, more about wildlife in the in the border area. Hey, hey Steve, real quick, it, just to interject that the 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 big ass balloons. Oh, th those are those are called the uh, acronym for those is TARS. It's Tethered Aerostat Radar Systems. Um, those are actually primarily for um, sensing the low air domain. Oh, so for aircraft, mm -hmm. aircraft sensing. So they're not watching you pick your nose. So like, no. they're there's, interested there's, in aircraft. So drones. there's other stuff. "Quote unquote" on uh -huh. there. We have other other sensing equipment on those, um, but the primary their primary role is for is is basically low low aircraft systems. Low, yeah. You know, low I was talking to a buddy of mine who spent time in ultralights, uh, helicopters, whatnot, yep. anything that's and, going uh, in that low space, uh -huh. and the and the an individual uh, SUA, the yeah, smaller right, drones. Yeah. Right. I had a, a friend of mine in the military. I can't remember if he was talking about Iraq or Afghanistan. He said they used a lot of those for that purpose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. They'd be up all over the exact place. Exact same yeah. capability. Yeah. Tracking aircraft and drones and stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I've brought up a bunch of times over the years to listeners, the idea, especially when the idea of the of an impenetrable wall, right, became an issue I would bring up. I would bring up, like, when considering all of the factors, okay, a thing to consider is wildlife movement. Okay. Yep. Not in uh, in people get riled up and they get pissed that you even mention it because how dare you question the legitimacy of it, of the wall? I'm like, I'm not. I'm just saying it's a thing to consider. But the more I think about it, too, I'd have to imagine that there are with just the amount of human traffic, human activity in terms of people crossing illegally, people trying to catch the people crossing illegally. Um, all the vehicular traffic, then you add in the wall, it has to have big implications for wildlife. Um, I'm going to answer this a little bit and Charles, you can correct me when I'm wrong. Cause I'm pretty sure I'll be wrong. I, I'll just talk about the section in, in Yuma, Arizona. So one, okay. one of the problems they have in Arizona is what's the lizard that's down there that you have to avoid? Well, I mean, the, 
there's the the Gila monster and yeah, there's the, there's they, they have these lizards that are all over, and we're warned to you know when you see them stop, they'll run over things like that. So the wall that that's built in in Yuma doesn't impede that animal's ability to go back and forth or 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 in any direction. A lizard, a lizard, right? Yeah. Well, I think people are more thinking about lart, like like, like mule, mule deer, mule deer. Yeah, so it certainly does yeah. affect the 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 ability for them. So. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm going to let you answer it a little okay. bit because I think I'm going to get into trouble. Ah, that's okay. Um, yeah. Um, yes, there's, I mean, is there some kind of impedance? Yes. That's, I mean, it's a wall, you know, um, it's a border wall system though, too. That's, that's the thing I think a lot of people don't, um, don't take into account for is that like, it's where we aren't. DHS isn't trying to put up just a border wall. We're trying to put up a border wall system. Um, and that does take explain, into Explain the difference between those two things. So when, when you say, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's that wall, it's that wall. Well, yeah, it's just, we're talking about specifically just that one component of what should be a system, which is the wall, there is an enforcement zone or, you know, some, some way for, for an agent to traverse that area along with technology so all three of those things working together okay to to help maintain the safety of the border it's essentially of the nation um and and so when you look at just the wall as the impedance yes there is that impedance but border patrol dhs cbp um we are working with the land management agencies to address and mitigate some of that impedance on the environment and the wildlife for example um you know in low water crossings we have you know gates there so we can allow for the sh for the sheet flow of the water during rainy seasons or outside of rainy seasons if there's an event we can you know open up those open up those gates to allow for um for the water to flow which you know, also allows for, for wildlife to cross through. Yep. Um, along with that, there's also, I just got back, um, about two weeks ago. Um, maybe a week ago, I, my dates are running, <laughs> running together. It's been busy, but, um, we just got back from actually ground truthing, um, what are called small wildlife patch passages. Okay. Um, so it's like what, uh, uh, chief Fortunato was talking about in Yuma. It's one of the places where this originated from as they were putting uh, putting in their border wall system is along the border. Um, even though there, there are bollards on the border that are, you know, about every four, four inches, um, there's a, a circular bollard. And so you have a four inch gap essentially that lets the border patrol see what's going on South. So it provides some visual security for us yep. of what's going on South, but it's just a four inch gap. Yuma sector started at the bottom, putting in, um, larger gaps. Uh, I think there's like, it's like a six inch by two inch gap. So they, they'd notch out a portion every, I don't know how many feet of that, um, uh, uh, of the bollard to allow for that lizard to freely go through Got and it. wouldn't be impeded in Tucson sector. And they're, they're doing it in the, in the newer, um, border wall system that, that they started putting in, um, that there was, it was placed in on pause on the, um, January 20, but within the system, um, we started putting in small wildlife passages. So we, in order to even put those in, we got with Department of Interior and Department of, of Agri Agriculture, you know, being Forest Service, essentially, um, Fish and Wildlife Service, Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, all the land managers that were along the border, we got with those land managers 
And we talked with them about, hey, we want to put in these small wildlife passages on the border wall system to allow for, to, to, to better allow for <laughs> wildlife to migrate through the border wall system. And what we did was we let them pick the locations of where they think it would be adequate to put these um, small wildlife passages in. But then we also got with them physically, went out to the border and said, okay, this is a GPS location that you said you would like to see this passage because they had the information on where wildlife would, would traverse. Yeah, yeah. And if, you know, there were some places where, the, where they looked and it was already in a wash, there was already a, a um, you know, a, a gate we were putting in there. So we would say, hey, you know, what if we move this up into a little bit higher ground? That way it's going to be in a place where wildlife can, can pass through and it's not a wasted location because there's, you know, there's already a gate at the bottom of this wash. Let's maybe put it a little bit higher. When you say small wildlife passage, like what size animal are we, are, like a, a deer could pass through this or? Not, a, a deer is, I wouldn't consider a deer small wildlife. Um, I'm talking the, the size of the hole. So the or small the wildlife is smaller. It's wildlife. not describing so the, the, describing the, the kind of wildlife. The, yeah, the kind of wildlife. Okay. So like it's essentially the gap's going to be about eight and a half by 11. Um, so, you know, and really when you're, when you're thinking about it or, or when you look at that, that's a pretty significant amount of space because like I said, the original gap is only four inches, appro approximately four inches. Um, and so I just don't want anybody to go down there and go, oh, that trust guy said it's, you know, four <laughs> inches and this gap is 3.75, you know, or it's 4.2, whatever, but it's approximately four inches. Right. Um, so we're essentially making that gap, almost doubling the size, the mm -hmm. width, and then we're increasing it, you know, 11, 11 inches up. Um, so we came to that. It was years back, um, when they actually came to, to the reasoning why I'm not exactly sure what the reason why essentially it's that the reality is the reality is that most normal human beings that are going to be coming through the international border, they aren't going to be able to fit that, but the amount of wildlife that you can, that can fit through that is, you know, greatly increased because just from, from putting that kind of, of, um, passage allowable for the wildlife to go through. Imagine a chart that has two lines on it. One is, um, okay, let's say one line is spending, spending at the spending on border security, U S spending on border security in the Southern border. And the other line is, um, traffic across said border. They rise in tandem. Or don't they? We're spending more and more and more, but more and more people are coming across. If you, like, let's say you drop the spending line, would the other line increase even more? Oh, yeah, the gap would, the gap would just decrease. It'd be like, you think so? It'd be an alligator mouth. Like, if there was no, no obstruction whatsoever, you feel it'd be like, I, I'm asking an obvious question. I, I, like, no obstruction at all would be, more than whatever million people. Yes. I'd hope, I mean, I'd have to think so. Yeah. Again, it goes back to the, like I talked about the consequence, right? The, the, you have to have the, the border wall system and, 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 and tied with the, the consequence system and the criminal and, and, and being able to charge them criminally. All that is what's going to help bring those numbers down. Without it, 
it's just going to continue to fly because there has to be a con- consequence and that consequence has to be greater than the amount of money that smugglers can make. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Where do you, th- you, you, gotta, you see, I don't even want to ask because you won't be able to answer it. But I, I think I, <laughs> I was going to ask you where we sit right now on consequence. <laughs> um, I'm doing the best job I can within the Haver Sector AOR to deliver the, the highest consequence possible to all those that, that break the laws that I'm authorized to enforce in Title Eight, Title 19, and Title 21. So we, we levy Title 21 uh, fees if you come across you, and you illegal, you come across the border. If you're Canadian, you come across the border through a POE and we apprehend you. We're going to deliver you a consequence either through Title 42 or Title Title 8. So Title 42, expel them back or Title 8, charge them with uh, illegal entry in the United States. And I'm also going to hit you with a $5,000 fine for evading inspection at the port of entry. Mm-hmm. So we're doing everything we can to deliver the, the highest possible consequence that I can, knowing that the U.S. attorney in the state of Montana is going to charge. They have they have their responsibilities and they have their prosecution guidelines. I have those prosecution guidelines and I do everything I can to prosecute and deliver a consequence to anybody that enters or any crime that's committed within my AOR within those prosecution guidelines. Do you get more in trouble? For, do you get more trouble from crossing the northern border than you do the southern border? Um, like, is it more illegal? No, I mean the, the border. Whether you cross, whether you cross in Mexico or whether you cross in Canada or whether you, for whatever reason, if you can do it, you can evade going through customs at you know the international airport. It's it's all the same. The, the laws are the same. You're gonna get treated the same way. You're gonna get treated the same way. Really. Really? Yes. <laughs> why, why are you so skeptical? I just feel like if some dude, like with nefarious, like uh, some dude with nefarious intentions, snuck across the northern border mm-hmm. and gets picked up, I just feel like it's going to be he's going to have a different outcome than someone that did the same thing on the southern border. Well, I, worse? Or? Oh yeah, I would have to think because it's just going to be like, I just feel like it's going to be worse. No, I, so again, that goes down to the the, the prosecution. Like you'll be given a trial date and turned loose. Um, I guess it depends on on the, on, on the parameters of the case, right? So uh, in some of those things, right? So as as the chief of the border patrol, the only thing that I can do is interdict and charge, and and build the best case that I possibly can. For that person to be actually be held in custody, that responsibility file falls to the director of immigration. Uh, 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 customs enforcement. Mm-hmm. So the director of of immigration customs and enforcement is housed in Salt Lake City. It's his responsibility to find space for whoever I apprehend. If he doesn't have the space, he has the authority to release that person into the into the country with a with a court date. Okay. So I have no control over that. I can utilize whatever network I have and whatever arm twisting I can or whatever pleading I can, whatever relationship I have with them. Hey, this is the one guy I think I need, that you really need to hold. But ultimately, it's his decision mm-hmm. on whether or not he holds them. And then the same thing when it comes to the actual consequence. I have no control whether the assistant U.S. attorney in, in, in Missoula, Montana, prosecutes that person that we that we apprehended and yeah. charged. All I can do, and this is what I tell my agents all the time, our responsibility is to to protect the homeland. And if somebody violates that protection and violates a law, our job is to apprehend them and charge them. Once we're done with that, 
our bullets downrange. Everything else that happens after that, we have zero control over. They, whether they get held is up to somebody else's responsibility mm-hmm. and whether or not they get charged or whether that, that charge is dismissed or whether that charge is plead out, is it the responsibility of somebody else? I hear from friends of mine in law enforcement that sometimes people will develop, like people in the field will develop a little bit of fatigue about doing their job but not seeing, not being happy with, you mentioned the down the downrange bullet. Yeah. What happens to it once it gets downrange? That it leads to fatigue and a little bit of ambivalence. Well, it's, and I'm I'm just going to speak for for the the agents that I supervise in 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 Haver and and it's probably typical of most border patrol agents, probably even the four of us sitting in this room. It, as as a border patrol agent, it's just not good enough to apprehend them to charge it. We want to see Sure. We want to see something happen to them. And because we're all type A personalities and, and because we believe in, in protecting the homeland and, and we believe that, that as part of doing that job is, is, is bringing a consequence to somebody that breaks the law. And, and yes, that the fatigue does come in because all in all, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, an agent gets sick and tired of doing the best job that they possibly can to see them just walk away with sure. Them. So, uh, and, and, and it's not just the border patrol. It's like you said, it's, it's happens all the way across law enforcement agencies. It even happened when I was a police officer in Colorado, you would charge things and, you know, often the attorneys that, that decide how things go decides the, the ultimate thing that happens with that case. So I know that, uh, that is one of the big challenges that we're facing in the border patrol is that our border patrol agents are working hard every single day. And, and they voice to me that they're, they're sick and tired of working hard. And and not seeing a consequence delivered, and that's my job is to try to make sure that those consequences are delivered. I got a uh, I, I know where this happened. I don't want to get too many details, but I got a friend who uh, his buddy owns some retail space, and he had a woman leave. Uh, he rents his retail space to a major um, drugstore. Okay, he watched a customer of his leave the store and get mugged and have her bags and purse stolen. And he couldn't get the cops that were there interested. And he, not, this is this is nothing to do with your department. Mm-hmm. He couldn't get the cops interested. And the cops said to him, oh, what would you like me to do, apprehend him? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I can tell like you. Like the apathy, right? Yeah, and, and, and I get that. That's, that's a police officer needs to have a talking to. I can, <laughs> I can honestly say that if, that if a Border Patrol agent was standing there, I guarantee that person would have been apprehended, mm-hmm. whether they were on duty or not. Right, James? Right, Charles? Oh, yeah. They would have jumped in, and they would have. that guy would have been apprehended. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. 
phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now, for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now, you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER, and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you can still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any trucker van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. I, for one, use it on all of my outboard engines up in Alaska every year. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, Steve, on your, on your, uh, what you described as far as like a budget investment versus, you know, the, 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 the increasing flow, like they're like, they, they kind of go hand in hand with one another. I, I don't think it's there. And, and, and anyone could look up the CBP's uh, custom board protection statistics for every fiscal year. Um, you know, budgets, uh, I'm just, just speaking plainly. I'm sure, I'm sure government budgets for all manner of departments go up year after year. That just seems to be the way of things in federal government, but you know, the apprehensions and, and encounters that we see, um, in the border patrol and CBP wide, it's, it's, it, it very much is related to the, the push factors from where people are leaving from, whether it's socioeconomic, environmental, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, 
communism, issues with communism in Venezuela right now, yep, yep. an earthquake in Haiti, when any one of a, any one of a combination of these factors can push a, a, a large population of people out to find uh, refuge someplace else, um, combined with how whatever political parties in power in the United States at any one time, how their priorities are loaded against the laws that are on the books, which typically do not change. It's just the, the priorities that they put in place on how those laws are enforced. It, it, it is, is what becomes the pull factor. That, that's an interesting point. That. Yeah. That's an interesting point that the laws don't change. It's just how you categor, how you prioritize them changes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So while, while budget probably increases year after year, I would say at least for Homeland Security because of, of what it means. Um, the, 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 uh, the encounters will vary upon the combination of those push and pull factors. Yep. So it's not necessarily a correlation between budget goes up, apprehensions encounters are going to go up. That's not necessarily the case. It'll flow depending on those factors. Do agents that you guys know, do people start to feel a little bit of whiplash about uh, changing priorities year to year? Is it, you know what I mean? Is it a, is it a cause of I don't know, consternation? I feel, I've been in just about 25 years now. I think I'm used to it. I've, I've uh, kind of chameleoned to what, what we're doing. It's nothing, uh, I guess I'm just used to it. And, and, and it's, you know, that's, that's just the way of government. We're not the only people impacted by this. It's every single agency. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you guys have had a, a myriad of, of, of land management experts on, on the show over the years. And I'm sure they have, uh, you know, how long has it been since since Forest Service or BLM has had like a budget to sustain roads and whatnot? I mean, like they've probably been waiting decades just because things like homeland security and, and international terrorism one are probably got in the way of those budgets being fulfilled in, in, in who knows how long. Sure. So it's it's just not it's just not us. So every 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 uh every department and agency even the federal government is, has has to evolve to whatever the, the priorities are. Yeah, and I think it does it just comes down to the length of time and service. Again, I've been in almost 26 years, and in 26 years, I've seen what five presidents. So that change of response oh, yeah. of of it has happened that many times. As as compared to somebody who's only been in the agency maybe three or four years, they come into it. This is all they know. They they just don't have that concept of of it's an ebbs and flows kind of thing. It's it's uh, the reality is is that uh, you know how we uh, how we can deliver how we work comes in in line with what the agents, what the administration wants us to do. So a lot of that does come into length of service. Those guys that are younger or those agents that have been in a little bit less amount of time struggle with a little bit more than folks that have like been in. Like what they perceive as a real change in direction. Correct. Yeah. Right. Do you have a hard time finding agents? Is it tough recruitment? Um, so uh, recruitment is, has, has been a struggle, not just for the Border Patrol, but I think law enforcement uh, nationwide, right? It, it, uh, the Border Patrol in particular, like Charles said, you have to be a border patrol agent. You have to be willing to to go out and work in the outdoors and be outdoors and not be ne- not be next to bathrooms and and be willing to to lay in with ticks and scorpions and spiders and God forbid snakes and all those other things that come along. And it takes a, a certain kind of a person to want to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing that we're running to is this, is is, this, is a generation issue right now, right? Um, the, the generation of folks sitting around this table have, have, have a concept of hard work and true grit, and they're willing to go out and do that type of work. The generation nowadays is not that they don't want to work hard. They just want to work 
as hard as they can for as little hours as possible. Yeah, they want to fish and, walleyes. And get as much money as <laughs> they possibly <laughs> can. Seth, he's talking about Seth the Chester. Right. So that they can go do that the, so they can go enjoy life, right? They uh-huh. they don't wanna they don't wanna live to work. They wanna work as little as possible and make as much money as they possibly can. So they can go fishing, go kayaking, go hiking, world travel, do those kind of things. So it, 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 trying to find people that want to do both of those things is is becoming difficult. Speaking of that, is there is there places around the country that are like choice posts for border patrol agents or just employees in general, like, like hunting and fishing places? Agents. Yeah, <laughs> like places like that's the place so to it, be. So I, I guess it depends on the person, right? I, 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 there's a lot of folks that are here in Montana. Part of the reason why they wanted to come to Montana is because of the of the ability to do that kind of things. Um, I think a lot of folks live in Arizona so that they can have those kind of concepts. There's a lot of folks that want to go to uh, the Rio Grande Valley because of their fishermen. They want to go do the offshore fishing and things like that. Um, oh. um, so, yeah, there's a lot of folks that want to do that. The, the problem with the Border Patrol that most law enforcement agents don't have is we're, we're constrained by geography in that when you come into the United States Border Patrol and you get hired, you're going to one of the nine southwest border sectors for your first assignment. So really, yeah, you're not. You don't start in the north. You don't start in the north. No, in in fact, in fact, I went north to to Grand Marais, Minnesota, in 2001. It took me six years to get there. They send they send you to the south. Yeah, you go to the south. So when you come on, and the 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 difference between now and and when we all came in, I didn't get a choice. I got a FedEx man who said, "Hey, congratulations, you're hired by the U.S. Border Patrol. You're going to McAllen, Texas." And I had to look on a map and say, where the hell is McAllen, Texas? On an atlas. Yeah, on an atlas. On an atlas, not on my phone. I had to look on an atlas to see where McAllen, Texas was. Um, uh, but nowadays they get a, a chance to pick. So as they go through the process, and of course they have the the technology at, at the tips of their fingers, they can look on and see, well, you know, I don't want to go to Presidio, Texas, because all you got to do is look on a map and see where Presidio, Texas is and realize it's eight hours from anywhere, yeah. right? So, well, I'd rather be in San Diego, California. Right. And so that comes down to the mentality too, because we're going out and, and cabin these kind of people. And, and, and we've got folks, and it happens today, that are from New York that don't even have a driver's license. They get a driver's license to get a job as a Border Patrol agent. So they've never driven a car until they go to the Border Patrol Academy and we teach them defensive driving and high speed tactics. James, was that you? When I showed up, when I showed up in Dorio, when I showed up in Dorio from the Bronx, New York, everyone in Dorio was asking me, you know, you drive? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I've been driving since I'm 16. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, really? Okay. All and right. Then, and yeah, then that, was, was that. No, that wasn't me. And the, the opposite side, too. I'm from, I'm from Colorado. Grew up and was born and raised in Colorado. And I went to McAllen, Texas. And one of my classmates sitting on the plane with me, he's freaking out. It was the first time. He's, he's 28 years old. First time in 28 years he's ever been on a plane and left the state of Texas. Huh. Never been out of the state of Texas in 28 years until he got on a plane to fly to Charleston, South Carolina to go be a Border Patrol agent. I once so, read that. I don't know if it's true, man, that someone from, te- like, a, a citizen of Texas is more likely to leave the state than the citizen of any other state or some shit like that. But it didn't make sense because I thought, about what about people in Rhode Island who can't go get a cup of coffee without leaving the state? Yeah. I shouldn't even yeah. bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> So to There's something edu- to this, though. Yeah, so the recruitment like, is tough. They have a high likelihood of going on vacation yeah. or something. I don't know. So recruitment is tough because we're trying to we're trying to have that dynamic of of folks that want to go out and work in the outdoors and 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 
and encountered large groups of people, right? As, as a police officer in Colorado, you know, the largest apprehension or arrest I ever made was maybe two people at a time. And after going down to, to McAllen, Texas, one of my first apprehended, 150 people. So how really? do you go from, and you're the only one, right? So how do you go from maintaining control of 150 people? Because let's be honest, if they want you, they're going to take you. Well, yeah, you can be the baddest guy you, in the world. You just like stick them up. Yeah, and no. all 150 people. <laughs> no, so it, it was kind of funny. You, you could do things like so. What I did with them is the first thing I wanted to do is identify where they're from Mexico or from uh, another country. So I had 150 people walking out singing the Mexican national anthem just to keep them occupied because it's the only way I can control 150 people. I had two sets of handcuffs. I was, who am I going to pick? Right, you just get them all singing the national anthem as you're walking out out of the trail to for the the bus to come pick them up. So the you, it's it you gotta it's an interesting dynamic huh. to find people that really want to go out and step in and do that type of law enforcement work, especially when they can go work for Bozeman PD and patrol here in Bozeman, or even work in in Denver, Colorado, or Kansas City, Missouri, and and just patrol and have backup. 30 seconds away for us backups in, in a lot of cases, minutes, 10, 15 minutes away. So how many agents do you guys lose on like every year in the line of duty? The ebbs and flows. We, we lost almost 52 CBP wide, uh, probably because of COVID in the last couple of years. Okay. Um, I think we're at uh, two or one. I think we're at one or two so far for, for this year. Okay. So it's, it, it, it's up and down, right? It, it's up and down. There's, there's no way for us to depict that. What's a what's the a pathway into that line of work? To border patrol? Yeah, like how do people how do people flow, right? Um, so uh, like you, you wake up one day and you be like, man, I want to I want to join the U.S. Border Patrol. There's a variety There's of ways a, yeah. that people people get involved in it. I Me mean, myself, I mean, I grew up in a in a you know in a neighborhood in in New York City where I mean most of the guys that I knew, you grew up became a cop, fireman, or or, or construction, and I was. Pre- going after the police route and taking police exams all up and down the, the East coast, the North Atlantic coast. And, uh, and border patrol just happened to be the first one, uh, to, to send me a letter of acceptance. So I, I jumped in blind and it was the best thing I ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there's, 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 you know, there's, uh, CJ programs across the country that, that, you know, try to try to place their students into different, uh, different law enforcement paths. Um, and then, for us, I mean, a third of our workforce are are, are veterans, so it's a natural. Was oh, that right? right? Yeah, about a third oh. of our war, uh, of the CBP workforce is, is veterans, and so it's a natural transition. Plus, they carry over a lot of their benefits and whatnot. So, if they're mindful of that, they're able to bring over their federal benefits and time and service uh, from the from their armed services to the board. And you get to add that to your retirement. Yes. Yep. Oh no, kid. Yeah. And so we I, get we get a lot of folks that want to jump from state or 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 local law enforcement to the federal. So yeah. the pay is a little bit better on the federal side it. than but, it is in the state. But local. to your point about recruiting, it's a, it's, it's a, uh, like all the things, 2020 was a referendum on, on law enforcement goes without saying, you know, nationwide, it was a, it was a, you know, it forced agencies to take a look at what law, you know, policing in general meant. We're no exception. Um, and, you know, uh, and, and, and focusing on how to bring in, uh, it, you guys look at reactivating hunters you know, it's one of your tenants that you guys, uh, we, we're very much in the same situation. Actually, I think all industry is looking to trying to get people out of back to work in some form or fashion, but mm-hmm. we're no, we're because of how scrutinized law enforcement as a whole was from 2020 through now, um, it's made it tough. And, and while as, you know, as they say, the, the economy is kind of difficult right now, um, the, you know, 
my daughter, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, had the choice of, of uh, you know, going to school, uh, go finding a blue collar job, going to college, or trying to get on YouTube and make a million dollars a year, or or something like that. Like that, that's an actual viable option, which blows my mind nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, not only competing about uh, the changing sentiment towards law enforcement and enticing people um, to go in that career field, but the also uh, making it a viable option to all these other things that are that are, you know we would never would have perceived were were at their disposal to make money uh, yeah. thirty years ago or something like that. So, uh, but but it, I think it, it anyone who has that sense uh, for us in particular speaking boards, anyone who has that sense of adventure. Um, uh, or, or wants to, you know, all the, all the areas that we talk about, Charles mentioned God's crunch. If you want to make that your office, this is a natural way to, a natural way to live in that, in that kind of office environment every day where you get to experience these, the great outdoors and protect it, even though maybe, maybe that's not your primary mission is to protect the actual land, but just by this, just by your actual presence on the landscape, you're protecting it. And, and it, it takes the right type of person to do that. And there's still a lot of those folks out there that have that, that are wired towards that, that career field. So if you wanted to get a job riding horseback through uh, Big Bend National Park. There's a way to do that in the United States Border Patrol, 100%. They get to camp out? Uh, actually, Spokane does a lot of yep. uh, a lot of details where they, where they go remote uh, with horse patrol for uh, weeks at a time. Really? If yeah. you want to go, go camp out in, in, in uh, Glacier National Park in, here in Montana, we got details you can do that. If you want to spend time in the BWC, the, the Boundary Water Canoe Area in Minnesota, there's a eight, you can go out there and spend. I've spent ten days. Yeah, because it I goes canoeing. Canoeing. I spent I spent ten <laughs> yeah. days dog sledding through the Boundary Waters. Really? Yeah. As an agent. As an agent. Because now, it's not because it's non motorized. Because it's non motorized, not mechanized. And what was you? What's the craziest thing in in those ten years that you spent up there that you encountered as far as something crossing the border that you had to interdict? Um, craziest thing would have been body carriers with diamonds. In, in the boundary waters. In the boundary waters, yeah. You're kidding yeah, me. No. What did you call them again? Body carriers? Body carriers carrying diamonds. So. T- trying to dodge terror? Are they... Well, because yeah, they, they, they were getting hit at the port of entry. So they were taking them to the one section in, on the Canadian side where they can actually get vehicles to, and then they were bringing them across in, in canoes. But in, it's not illegal to have a diamond. They're trying to avoid what? Oh, the, the customs, the, the taxes. Oh, I see. No kidding. Yeah. Were they in canoes? They were in canoes. That'd be a sweet We job. caught them in canoes. They were in canoes. <laughs> did they seem like they knew, what, be a diamond they, seem like they, knew what they were there, doing? Uh, I, <laughs> or could I, you pick I, them out from a mile away? You're like, those guys I, are I believe, sticking out. He ain't I fishing believe, walleyes. I believe they beat us nine times before we caught them. Really? Back to that 90%. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I have man. no clue. But I, they, I, I believe when we caught them, they were shocked to see us. So they had been successful on multiple occasions. Hmm. Yeah, I, I want another, like, a couple of highlights <laughs> or, like, craziest events of my career I, I was on, on the border. I was in Texas, so a lot of those high fence, high fence ranches down there with all sorts of animals from all over the planet. And right. so uh, getting attacked by emus was one of my early... <laughs> <laughs> and, and finding out they like to pull your buttons off your shirt. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a strange thing if you ever never seen one before and you're in the yeah. middle of the wild. But as you can imagine, all the, you know, the manner of things that, uh, that they put on those ranches out there that we have to patrol on and, you know, 
seeing a zebra or a, or a you know a kudu for the first time driving around it kind of blows your mind hmm yeah i think um when actually when when sammy and i were were back in laredo working together there was one night and it wasn't me that um that that made the apprehension but but we were working one night and we got a call and because they didn't the guys in the field didn't know who to call um and we didn't know either we got a call from from an agent and and they're like hey we're we're out here with a group okay what's the big deal you know it, you guys got 30 and whatever and then they're like yeah we have this group but we have a tiger mm-hmm. <laughs> remember that and and we're like what you have a tiger and they yeah we have a group of 30 and one of these guys has a tiger and on like, a leash a, a real yes it was a baby cub tiger he was bringing it across because I, don't, I apparently the black market trade and stuff, he was going to sell this tiger to somebody. It's happened a bunch of times. Yeah. Parrots. Parrots yeah. are real popular in the southern border. People smuggling parrot, two cans. Two cans. Monkeys. Foot traffic. Yeah. Yeah, on foot. And foot, on foot. foot and, and at the bridge, trying and to get the through the bridges, but yeah. but also through just carrying it in, in a duffel bag across the border for sure. Huh. Kind of monkeys. Those, uh, those little, I don't even know what they're called, but the... The the friends ones. The, was it the merit? The computer. Like a little, like a little, like like a. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of monkey that can jump on your shoulder. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not yeah. like a, not like a, yeah, big, not like an orangutan or anything. Not like a orangutan. Little bitty tiny, you know, you know, monkeys from Africa and things like that that they were trying to bring in. Really? Yeah. How could there be enough money in that to make that worthwhile? If there's money to I'm be t- made, people are trying to yeah. sell it. Unfortunately. You know. uh, just, just, in t- and I know we're probably getting off topic. In, in South Texas, used clothing is a big thing. So you see pallets of of used clothing. So clothing we would throw away, they put in and bind in a pallet, and they smuggle that south to Mexico. Same thing with chicken, raw chicken. Raw chicken goes south because in Mexico they they charge a tax. The government charges a tax on chicken. So you're so trying to get out of the tax. Trying to get out of the tax, so they're smuggling chicken south. Into, into Mexico. And then we call it Ropa Usada, used clothing, going south into Mexico for people to buy used clothing. And funny story, in, huh. in McAllen, um, we had clothing going, and we were tired of him, right? So we said, ah, oh, we're going we're gonna to bust your pallets. We, we cracked the pallets, $100,000 cash wrapped up inside one of the bundles, which was a mistake because then every bundle going south was getting cracked open by border trade agents. There was used clothing all over the border. It just turned out to be a nightmare. But yeah, that's the kind of stuff that happens. So whenever something's going north, cash is going south. Hmm. When you guys found all that money, you probably partied that night. No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, avocados is also a big thing. Avocados coming north. People smuggling avocados to avoid what? to avoid taxes. Well, to avoid taxes, and then all this, uh, the avocados in Mexico are actually quite a bit bigger than than you can the California avocados. Uh-huh. So in Texas, avocados are, are are pretty big. People smuggling avocados cross. So if you go, you can go to Mexico and buy an avocado, but they take out the bone. It has to do with the bone. There's some sort of agriculture or some disease that's in the seed or so the they bone. dodge that by so they dodge them. that by smuggling them north because they can get more money and obviously if you hold a Mexican avocado next to a California or Texan avocado it's like a softball to a baseball it's so avocados are really popular cigarettes on the northern border no cigarettes right. on the northern border especially over in in Calif- in New York going going north or coming south Just, uh, both. Both. They call them toonies. You can you go into the Agnesasti territories and buy. It's really kind of crazy. It's it's the equivalent of a of a carton of cigarettes, but they're 
they're just thrown in a bag because mm-hmm. they're nondescript, non. <laughs> My buddy had a girlfriend in Canada who had, she only had one leg and she would put uh, all kinds of cigarettes in her fake leg. Oh yeah. Every time she went across. Yeah. She was, she'd come, she'd come over to the U.S. and then fill her fake leg with a cigarettes to go back to Canada. Which brother was this? No, a buddy of mine. Oh, buddy. Okay. You know, yeah. Fellow named Kurt. So there's, if, if there's money to be made in smuggling it, they're going to do it. Yeah. We all thought it was funny. I never thought to report her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've it seen, just seemed semi-harmless. Yeah, you know? boots. <laughs> and then we start talking about Western boots and things like that. Of course, reptile styles and things like that. A lot of those things are restricted from coming in. So you'll see loads of boots coming across and, and reptile belts and things like that. Like wildlife trade. Yep. Huh. Do you ever see um, when we're down there across and they have a thing about all the cats? Like ocelots, mm-hmm. and uh, what else they got in there? Turtle shells. You know that oh, big poster? Yeah, I know the poster you're talking about. I can't remember all the... There's a bunch of birds on it. Just like the wildlife trafficking business. The, yeah. the stuff that we... The stuff that our counterparts, the, the office field operations, ladies and gents at the bridges that, that come across, the, the ag specialists that have to go through people bringing in fruit and all that stuff. And usually they're, you know, most of the stuff, their time, they're looking for pests. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that any kind of, you know, beetle or larva or something that's in with like a dozen roses or some kind of whatever fruit you're bringing over. But they're the ones that run into like the really, really wacky stuff from like, and like stuff that just shows up that, that these people bring because it's a, it's a totem or something like that. And it, who knows where they got some kind of crazy dried up endangered frog from down in Chiapas, Mexico, and then yep. they bring it up. And, uh, and it's common for, for these things to just be, um, part of, part of their kit that they're bringing with them. Oh. What else you got, Corinne? No, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> that <is. laughs> All right, what do you guys ha- what do you guys have that you want to add that we didn't get into? Uh Charles, I think a little bit about um the uh the efforts on the organ pipe pretty, yeah. pretty yeah, unique. I, yeah, I think um I mean one of the cool things like we talk about, you know, we, you guys, you're, you know, you guys talk a lot about conservation and, and the use of public lands and, and how, you know, um, you know, how hunting and, you know, and general po- the general population impacts the environment. Um, you know, one of the things that within Border Patrol, I mean, there's no doubt about it, like the job that we do, um, you know, there is an impact on it. Um, and over the years, like in Oregon Pipe, um, Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument, for those the, of y'all that don't know, it's it's a huge national monument on the southern border of Arizona. Um, you know, uh, the majority of it, the, the whole southern border abuts the um, international boundary mm-hmm. um, with Mexico. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that had happened over the years um, on that property, um, one of which was the unfortunate death of, of um, Chris Egley. Um, and, uh, and, and that came about through, um, drug trafficking. Well, I didn't know that was on the, that that was on the uh, monument site. It was, yeah. it, it, it occurred on the monument. Um, I believe in, in 2003, I believe, and I, I, I apologize if I don't, um, if, if I'm getting the date wrong, but, um, because of, of what had happened, um, it actually, Department of Interior actually put up, um, a, a border fence on their property. Mm-hmm. So they, they installed a vehicle barrier, um, on there because, um, uh, Chris was killed from, from cross-border traffic, um, that included a vehicle driving over the, or driving through the international boundary, um, onto the park. 
and um, and so again, Park Service put up that uh, put up that that fence, um, and that was just that. Unfortunately, that that was one of the biggest um, events, but it was a common occurrence that people would drive through um, Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument, mm-hmm. and so there were hundreds of um, what what they consider, um, what park service considers, you know, um, wildcat roads or unauthorized, um, vehicle roads. Um, and the majority of, of, of Oregon pipe, it's designated wilderness. So there really shouldn't be too many roads unless it's been stipulated within the wilderness designation. Yep. So United Nations protected site or one of those uh, designations? One of those UNESCO sites? Yeah, I believe no. so. Oh. Um, that I'm not sure of, um, for certain, but I know it's, it's designated wilderness and, and there was over the years because of, of cross-border traffic, hundreds of miles of these illegal roads. Um, and you know, yeah. Did border patrol use them? Did the public use them? Yes. Because they looked like roads Mm -hmm. from people just, you know, driving across, um, we, we got some funding, um, from some, from, I believe it was the, um, Secure Fence Act. Um, we got some funding to work with Department of Interior uh, to do some remediation work along the border. One of the projects that we chose to, um, that we chose, we jointly worked with Department of Interior and National Park Service um, on was to um, do some road remediation on Oregon Pipe. Um, so what that, what that basically entailed is we took uh, aerial, aerial phot- photography of the park we looked at all these roads. We looked at where um, Border Patrol had infrastructure, where the park had infrastructure, um, what roads were the, the traffic patterns for migra- for e- illegal migration or illegal crossings. Um, and we overlaid all those. We got together with, with Park Service and we were like, hey, you know, we got, there's all these roads here. We have some money to do some remediation. Let's start closing some of these roads. Mm-hmm. And so we spent a lot of money on taking these roads where, you know, hundreds of miles of roads, and we would see that these roads were going, you know, four or five roads going to the same place. Well, you know, really what's the need for that? Let's start closing some of these roads. So we use that money to do things like, um, vert, what's called, I, I learned the term vertical mulch, um, <laughs> where you, you put, you, you put up stuff on a roadway, um, or, or you put stuff, you you put, um, you know, foliage and, um, uh, landscaping on a roadway. So you make it look like it's no longer a road and you just go as far as like the, eye can see or a oh, couple hundred yeah, yards. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, and then you can put a sign What's the term again? It's, it's vertical mulch. Huh? Yeah. And so, yeah. And I was just like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. Um, so, so we did that on, on a whole bunch of roads. It ended up being like 200, over 200 miles of, of roads. Um, on organ pipe that we were able to, um, uh, you know, to close off and that, you know, defragments the, the landscape. So now the wilderness, you know, the wildlife has more of an area to roam. They don't, they aren't like running into road every sure, you yeah. know, couple hundred yards or something like that. There's, there's more area for, for, for wildlife to thrive and the visitors to actually visit and not feel like, you know, they, they feel that, uh, you know, one of the, w- one of the characteristics of wilderness, they feel that solitude. You know, because you are, you know, you run into a road when you're in the middle of the wilderness, you don't really feel alone at that point. Sure. Right. Even, you know, even though you may not see somebody on that road, you, you know, that, that moment is kind of, eh, if you, yeah, you know, yeah. if you will. Um, but yeah, we, 
uh, overall, we restored like two over 200 miles of road. Um, that year um, was for me fairly significant. I think for really for for Border Patrol, um, you know, I I hope it was it was pretty significant because that year the Border Patrol was actually. Um, uh, given along with National Park Service um, and BLM, we were given the the DOI Wes Henry Award, which is a, an award that's typically um, has been given internally um, within Department of Interior for um, environmental stewardship. Oh, is that right? Yeah, oh, that's and cool. so it's it was the first time that they've ever chosen to give it to to an outside agency. Got um, it. And it was because of that project. And it was yeah, and that was part of. That was the major reason because of that project, because of that restoration um, benefits from that project. Yeah. Yeah. That ties into what I was asking about, just the amount of um, activity in these very remote areas yeah. and what the implications are for, well, I brought up wildlife, but you believe wildlife, solitude, whatever, right? Yeah. Just it makes it like a buzz with activity. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what that border wall system helps to do realistically for both sides. It It's going to help. It does help to, you know, increase that solitude aspect and the, 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 I think the, the enjoyment of the resource, um, when, when you have, you know, a visitor out there, because now it's a little bit more safer. They can be a little bit more comfortable going back to what I was talking about with that road restoration and the unfortunate incident with, with Chris Egley, you know, because of that, the park service actually closed like 60% of their park because of that. Did they really? Yeah. yeah. Because of the restoration area, um, efforts that Border Patrol worked with, with Park Service, the park's 100% reopened now. You know, so this area that had been closed for, at that point, you know, 15 years, um, you know, we were able to reopen that. And, the, and, and now not only can the visitors go out there, but Park Service, their researchers and biologists can go back out there and do their research, you know, and, you know, do what they need to do to help, you know, catalog you know the cultural and the environmental significance of that area that's great did closing those roads those roads limit the illegal traffic or did the illegal traffic just change its method well it's you know yes (laughs) really (laughs) yes 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 to both um you know closing it was again, just part of the the whole system because we have the infrastructure um, on the southern border that helped prevent the, um, you know, the the vehicle traffic to go over. And then you have agents, you know, we, it wasn't just like we, we, we put up ver- vertical mulch and, you know, walked away. It was a joint effort between us. We put up the vertical mulch. We went to, we had park service come to our musters, talk with the agents, tell them about, you know, the significance for the area, why we need to use certain roads. We kept our agents accountable by making, um, you know, making them call, call in and they call in when they go on, um, these off road, um, you know, unauthorized roads, essentially, we now, they're now called temporary tactical infrastructure and they call in when they're going off, off that road. So we can keep account of, okay, are they, you know, are they using them? How often? And if we need to adjust, um, those, and we, we still go through every few years, we go through what, what is currently there and we'll close off roads that, you know, need to be closed off. If we, if we need to, to, you know, create, you know, or utilize a new path that's been 
that that's been utilized. We work with the land managers to see how we can affect that. You know, so, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily a one for one, mm -hmm. but sometimes it works, you know, more in park, park service favor. Sometimes it works more in BP favor, if you will, but there's still that dialogue that we share with, with the land manager. You happy now, Corinne? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the pronghorn rescue. Okay. Okay. Um, because I didn't know that the border patrol did this until I actually got into this program, but it is one of the funnest times that I have. And thankfully I get to have it almost every year. Um, so the border patrol works with fish and wildlife service, the Sonoran pronghorn, um, out there in Southern Arizona on the Cabeza Prieta national wildlife refuge. Mm -hmm. So, um, we meet throughout the year, but their big thing is that, um, uh, there's, it's called the pronghorn roundup, okay. um, in December, um, well, before December, some, sometime we set up, I think it's around September, October, we'll set up BOMAs and they'll capture some of the pronghorn that are on Cabeza Prieta. Um, and then in December, um, fish and wildlife. Hold service, on. What, what is a BOMA? A trap? A BOMA is like, yeah, it's, it's almost like, like a trap. They're like three semicircle. Um, enclosures, corral, like a, like a corral, yeah, like a okay. corral. Mm -hmm. yeah, like a corral. So they'll, 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 um, get as many pronghorn as they can into this area. And then in December we get together, we being fish and wildlife service, um, Bureau of land management, park service, um, Arizona game and fish. Um, they have, um, contracts with, um, various veterinarians to come out and we'll go in and. There's various steps to the process, but we, we take out the pronghorn one by one. We carry them out. They get um, vet checks, um, you know, new radio collars if they need collars. Um, and then we'll, we'll redistribute the herd depending on, on where, they, where they need to go. Because, again, going back to that um, Secure Fence Act funding in early 2000s, um, the Sonoran pronghorn was another research um, uh, research funding string that, that we utilize. There were about 50 pronghorn um, on Cabeza Prieta at the time. Um, currently, I currently I want to say it's somewhere around like 450. A few years back, it was like a little over 500, but there's been droughts, there's been some other issues. Yeah. Um, is it a hunted population? It is not. It's not. It's so not. It's an endangered species. Um, and so they've been working to reestablish in, um, on the Cabeza Prieta. I see. So it's like yeah. a restoration. It's a restoration project. Effort. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it is, it is crazy sometimes of the things that, that happen just even just trying to get, um, these pronghorn out. Cause you got to go in, there's, let's say maybe anywhere from seven to 12 of us on essentially a tennis net and you gotta, they'll put, <laughs> they, they try to, they try to, to take, you know, there's 80 in the first Boma and then they, they whittle it down. So they whittle it down into the second and then the final in the final Boma, they they try to have like two to three pronghorn. So you have two or three pronghorn running around. You get this net and you have to go in and you're trying to, to net them, but they're very fragile. They're also super quick and they jump super high. So a three foot net sometimes, not even close to enough. Um, unfortunately, one time this, we were going in and the person that was a lead, the lead netter, he had a catcher's mask on. And it was one of my first years doing this. And I was like, why is that guy wearing a catcher's mask? Like I got, I'm holding this net and I got, you know, I got gloves on and a hat. And I'm thinking, why is this guy wearing a catcher's 
mask. Better like, question is, well, where's my character's yeah. mask? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what What did I sign up to do here, right? So then I just, I hear the, the gate open and then you got to be really quiet because you don't want to scare them. And I just hear, go, 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 go. And so we're starting to run, we're starting to run, run to the door and the guy slams the door shut. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? Like now we're, we all kind of sandwich at the door and then they're like, Hey, come here, come here. They're calling another vet, you know, a medic. And they go in there and then hear some rustling a minute later, the guy with the catcher's mask comes out. The mask is like on the side of his face. <laughs> his nose is bleeding. His shirt's all cut up. And I'm just standing there like. Dude, I'm supposed to be next. Like, <laughs> what is, like, I looked at what a pronghorn was. Is there really a pronghorn in this thing? Or, like, is this some kind of weird, like, you know, interagency joke? <laughs> and, oh, my gosh. But it turns out it was just pronghorn, but they are so fast and so feisty. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a great time. And I never thought when I got into the Border Patrol I never thought that this would be an opportunity that I would have, like pronghorn wrestling. Yeah, yeah. well, not even, yeah, pronghorn wrestling when you when you boil it down. But the fact that like I get to come to work and one of my jobs is to interact with an endangered species mm -hmm. and be part of be part of a project that hopefully rehabilitates, you know, and reestablishes an endangered species, you know, on on Earth, you know, and yeah. in the country, like for some kid from Oak Harbor who went to you know, Washington State University and ends up, you know, helping to reestablish a, an endangered species. Like that's, I never thought that, that my life would lead to something like that. No, that's great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Unexpected turns, man. Oh yeah. Slowly. Yeah. And, and that's the great thing I think that with the border patrol, um, is that I think people don't often see, uh, just how diverse the, the job can be. You know, um, they think, oh, you're just going to be out along the border. You know, well, yeah, you may, you know, for a little bit. But then, look, you could be working with these, you know, these aerostats. You could be, you know, playing bagpipes. You could be, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, could be, you could be working with pronghorn. There's so much. I could see control. where people would have. I, I don't have it, but I could see where people would have a limited view of the job. But I guess I've just spent enough time down in border country where I recognize the complexity of the role and all the different, you know, I guess if you're down there and you're observant, you just see um, how wide reaching and complex it is. Yeah. But I think that you could come from a certain very narrow view and, and just get an idea of what people are up to that's a little bit reductive mm -hmm. of what's going on. I haven't personally felt that way though. Yeah. You know, I look at I'm like, man, that's like a lot. Yeah. There's I'll, a lot happening, I'll, you know, with this. a lot of ramifications, man. Yeah. I'll say this. If you're looking to, to get into a federal job and make a difference, the, the, the United States border patrol is one place where you can do that just because of the, 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 great deal of things that we do. You can go and you can patrol on boat, you can patrol on ATV, you can patrol on horseback, you can patrol by vehicle. Um, and we have all these other programs that you grow, that you can grow into and do that you can actually make a difference if something is important to you. So if, if the environment is important to you, we have an, we have an avenue for that in the border patrol. If, if wildlife is important to you, we have an avenue for that in the border patrol. If fighting narcotics is, is important to you, we have an avenue for that in the border patrol. So that's one thing the border patrol gives that most law enforcement agencies don't have is they're sort of, they're sort of focused on, on one thing where we're trying to focus on, or we have to focus on so many other things just, just, just because of the virtue of the way we do our jobs. 
I'll tell you one area you guys aren't focused is um Havelina Intel for me and my buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we might be down in that spot mid February. I expect shit to be a little different right. when I run into some people down there this year. Well, now that you made that public, keep an eye on your inbox. You're probably yeah, gonna I need some, some waypoints. You know, so, I, want, I want those guys to be ready to airdrop waypoints because, so, like, don't play dumb with me. Yeah. I want to make sure one more thing we cover before we go. <laughs> Since we've given you some tools, going back to your, your fish gate thing here. Yep. I'm, I'm going to deputize you <laughs> yes. as a junior board patrol agent. Oh, really? So here's your, this gives you no authority whatsoever. No, but by it. all means, wear it with pride. And, and, I, and I hope you find a solution to the uh, right fish gate. Oh, when I'm doing my fish stuff, <laughs> you, I'm going to wear yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. I want you, you to be to, able to display some sort of. You need to save of, that for when you get <laughs> your polygraph Yeah, I want you to be able to save that when you hook them up to the machine. And you start watching them. This will give you that opportunity. Yeah, they're gonna get. They're gonna yeah. get. Their eyes are gonna be twitching just seeing that badge. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys coming down, man. Um, I've always been real fascinated by it. Again, just like time spent in, I don't know, like Southern Texas. A lot of time we spend in uh, in Sonora, Arizona. You know, just be like, what are those guys up to? Well, we appreciate the opportunity to come on. We. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us to come and show the the work that we're doing in the Border Patrol to give give your listeners and everybody else out there an idea of the things that we do and giving them a better idea of the things that we do. So we appreciate the opportunity to come oh, on. It's great, man. And spend it's very a educational. Bit of time Stay safe, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having yeah. us. Really appreciate, appreciate it, man. It's excellent. Thanks a lot. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater. Get yourself some free shipping.